Okay, we're live. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. This is election night coverage, and welcome to this podcast. This is episode number 298 of the John Riley Project. You know, I've been getting some text messages. People are saying, are you on? When is it starting? What's going on? Let me see if I can get back to some of these folks here while we're just getting started. Everyone just getting organized. You know, the the, the results aren't going to be posted until what? About a little after eight o'clock. So we're going to take a close look at some of those numbers when they break. In the meantime, we're just going to talk about the elections. You know, the elections here in Poway, the elections in Rancho Bernardo. We'll get into some of the national issues. We're going to get into some of the San Diego County issues. We're going to get into some of the local issues here in our hometown of Poway and our, our, our next door neighbor, Rancho Bernardo, because, you know, that's what this is all about. You know, you can you can turn on CNN and watch the national news coverage of election night. You can watch, you know, Channel 8 or Channel 10 and get San Diego County. But where are you going to get Poway specific election coverage then right here in the John Riley Project. We're also going to cover Rancho Bernardo specifically from the perspective of the Poway Unified School District because we got some candidates there. You know, I've, I've just been so blessed. We've had so many different candidates that have come on this podcast. So this tonight is going to be kind of like a community forum. So we're going to welcome all of your thoughts and comments. And maybe you've got, you just want to sound off. Maybe you really felt passionately about the person you voted for, well, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of share your message. You just got to type it in the live stream on Facebook or on YouTube. I'll see them on my screen. I'll share them here for the community and we'll make this a community forum. We'll have some fun, you know, grab something cold to drink, pull up a chair. Let's have some fun. Now, like I said, we can cover the national stuff. Do you want to know what's going on with the Senate race in Georgia? Well, that's important, but really we can get that from a lot of other people. We're going to really focus in on the specifics. So some of the questions that I'll pose that I'll throw out there are, who do you support in this race for Poway mayor? Who do you support for Poway District 1? Who do you support for Poway District 3? And then in Poway Unified, who do you support in Area B? which is in the North Poway, kind of Northeast Rancho Bernardo area. Who do you, who you support in area C, which is in 4S kind of um, Westwood and parts of Rancho Bernardo. And then who do you support in area? I believe it's D, right? That's Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe's district and that's Penasquitos. And um, you know, so, Tell us what you think. Who do you support and why? Do you have some fun stories to share? Well, I've got a bunch of stories I want to share with you. You know, stories about elections, about campaigns. Maybe you were a candidate. Maybe you just saw some fun things that you've observed during this process. Some stories you want to share. Type them in. Share them on the live stream and we'll read them on the air. Um, what else are we going to do? Like, who do you think is going to win, right? I mean, we're getting ready here to look at the data, look at the results. Who do you think is going to win? Let's take a look, you know, get your get your predictions. Let's put your, you make your bet, you know, let's see what you think. And then we're going to really dive in. Once the um, the election data is available um, from the San Diego County Registrar of Voters, we're going to look at the numbers. Um, and those I'm assuming are going to be released sometime after 8 p.m. So that gives us sort of like an hour to kind of hang out, 
you know, kind of shoot the bull, talk about what we think, what we hope happens. And then once the data comes out right after eight o'clock, I, I'm assuming it's going to be, you know, pretty close to right after eight. Well, then we'll look at the numbers. And when you see that initial batch of data that comes out, that gives you a very strong indication of what the end result is going to be, because so many people vote by mail and so many people are dropping their ballots off at official drop boxes. They've been counting ballots, friends, for the last few weeks, and they've kind of got all those queued up. And we know that the percentage of people that vote by mail is significant. And in fact, I think it's like about two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of the people vote by mail. So when those initial numbers come in right after 8 o'clock, that's going to tell us pretty pretty clearly who's winning and who's losing. Um, and, you know, the numbers don't change a lot. I mean, not that much after the, they, the numbers break. And so we're going to kind of break that down. So that's our game plan. What do you think? So, again, I, I welcome your thoughts and comments. You can type them in on Facebook, on YouTube. Just key them in. We'll see them on the screen. We'll share your thoughts and comments. But uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for a number of things. I mean, obviously, we've had a lot of wonderful guests that have come in here into the podcast studio that have sat down with us. I mean, for Poway Unified School District, we had Patrick Batten and Frida Brunzel. Um, I wish I could have had more people from the school board races, uh, but we had a couple of candidates in here. We learned a lot about the hot topics that are going on in our school district. Some of these are very local-based topics, and some are some of the, 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 the hard-hitting national issues that we hear about in education. And then, of course, we had two candidates that came here into the podcast studio that were running for mayor. Um, we had Yuri Bolin and Delta Esparza. And they're the two primary challengers against Poway Mayor Steve Voss. Of course, there are two other candidates that are in the race for mayor. And there's been some conversation online about them, especially even today. Um, my understanding is, and I've, this is hearsay, I have not seen anything official, that one of them has dropped out and the other one is mostly inactive. We'll, we'll call him a paper candidate. But you know what's going to happen is those candidates are going to get a lot of votes and they are going to be a factor in this race, especially if um, the the margin of victory for the mayor is a lot narrower than maybe we might expect. You know, some of those paper candidates will get votes. They'll get more votes than you think, and they may surprise then for District 1, of course, we had Hiram Soto on the podcast. In fact, he was the first political candidate to join me. We had a great conversation um, and learning all about his candidacy and the things he wants to do in Poway. And then later on, we had two of the three candidates for District 3 in the podcast studio. We had Kevin Juza and we had Tony Russo. So, um, you know, of course— you know, it's funny, like, you, 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 who am I rooting for? Well, I'll tell you what, on one level, of course, I'm rooting for every candidate that came into this podcast studio because those candidates, you know, whether I agree or disagree with their policies, I love the fact that they're involved. I love the fact that they are putting themselves out there. I love the fact that they love their community, that they love their city, that they love their school district, that they want to make a difference. Every candidate that came here into this podcast studio had great things to offer. Every one of them I thought was a good person that had good morals and ethics. And, you know, they're all kind of coming at it from different angles. But for the most part, I thought they were all quality individuals with high levels of character. And so 
Of course, I'm rooting to see you know people like that in office. And you know what we can debate on their specific policies and what we think is best for the city of Poway and for our school district. But, you know, that's kind of the game plan for tonight. We're going to kind of talk about the candidates. We're going to talk about the races. We're going to have all sorts of conversation. And and already we got people coming in on the live stream. So I just want to get everyone involved right away. And this is from our good friend, Pete Neald. You know, Pete, frequent guest here on the podcast. He says, nothing funny this time around with the amount of outside money trying to buy our city. Right. And that's, all, that's of course, been a huge topic. Um Amita Saravala came here into the podcast studio, the president of the Poway Democratic Club, and and he broke it down. He broke down all of the money that's coming into Poway. And it's, you know, it's one thing if Poway City Council and Poway mayoral candidates are raising money from local Poway people. It's kind of what you expect. And we had a lot of that. But there was a ton of money coming in from outside of Poway. Um Either individual donors that were making up to a maximum of a $250 contribution, but in other cases, we had political action committees that were spending tens of thousands of dollars. And I think if you added up all of the money that was coming from outside of Poway, it was kind of rough numbers, well over a hundred grand that's trying to influence the outcome of these races, influence who is elected to city council. Because they have they have topics that are going to be reviewed. And so um, I, I just think this is just uh, really an interesting race. And Pete, you, you're right. There's just a lot of money flowing in. And oh, here we go <laughs> from our good friend Mike Devine under his pseudonym, Steve Dallas. Do you think there will be any voter fraud in Poway <laughs> or voter, voter fraud as it's spelled on the screen? You know. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Um, I'll tell you what. I, I dropped my ma- my ballot off this morning in an official San Diego County Registrar of Voters drop box that's in the postal annex next to Target in Poway. You know, the postal annex for my buddy Dennis. He runs that franchise location there. That's really secure, man. It doesn't get more secure than that. The registrar of voter people are coming in and collecting ballots multiple times during the day. But, uh, yeah, ballots are going to be mailed in. There's a lot of suspicion, you know, that the market has been flooded with ballots and people are going to be voting illegally. I tend to doubt it. Now, do do I think there might be some voter fraud? Usually there always is some, but usually it's pretty statistically insignificant. Now, of course, I'm open to evidence. If someone wants to prove their case, I'm all ears. You bring it, uh, bring it in, and we'll take we'll we'll look at the evidence. But I kind of doubt it. Um, here's a comment in from Tony Russo: a two-hour wait at the community center. Was that to vote today? Is that what you're saying, Tony? A, a two-hour wait to vote? You know, I used to really enjoy going into the pie, uh, going into the polls and placing my vote. Physically, like I liked when we had the chads, I used to like to punch them. There was a time here in Poway we had electronic voting booths where you had a touch screen. And there have been other times, yeah, you just go into that styrofoam plastic propped up voting uh, booth and you get your little Sharpie and fill in the ovals. I used to always like going in person um, because it just kind of felt, you know, like you were involved in the process. It kind of was sort of an Americana thing. Um, and you just and you got the sticker and, you know, that kind of makes you feel good for a little while. Um, but I'll tell you what, since the 2020 election, 
I'm voting by, you know, so-called voting by mail. It's just easier, and I have confidence in the system. But really, a two-hour wait at the community center, um, that's not good. Uh, here's another comment from Casey Doan. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, Mike. Voter fraud is so uncommon. And, you know, that's my take, too. Um, I'm not in denial that there's no voter fraud, but I really kind of doubt it. Now, of course, I'm open to showing evidence. If someone has evidence, bring it forward. But until that happens, I'm not going to really believe that's going to that's going to be much of a factor. Um, Tony Russo goes on. I believe we will have change. Um, you know, there's a lot of change candidates running here in Poway, for the Poway City Council races, right? So you got Mayor Voss, of course, running for his third term. Um, he's not a change candidate, right? He's kind of the status quo, the establishment. Mayor Voss represents the stay the course, which, by the way, the stay the course message is very volatile. A lot of change happening in our community. But the two other active candidates for mayor, both Delta Esparza and Yuri Bolin, you know, Delta to a much greater degree, those are change candidates. And then in District 1, you could safely say Hiram Soto is the change candidate where Brian Pepin is really more of the status quo establishment candidate. And in District 3, you could say Peter DeHoff is the status quo establishment candidate. I mean, heck, his campaign slogan is stay the course. Where Tony Tony Russo and Kevin Juza are both change candidates, both to varying degrees of change. So this is what's going to be so fascinating when we look at the numbers. Does our community really want change? And especially, I think the the District One race between Hiram Soto and Brian Pepin is the ultimate. What's the word? A litmus test? Is that the right word? Um, where? You've got one-on-one, you know, the votes aren't diffused, the votes aren't fragmented, and it's a clear change candidate, a very clear change candidate against a very clear establishment status quo candidate. The other thing that's fascinating about that race in particular is you've got one candidate that is very Republican and another candidate that's very Democrat. And Poway, we went over the numbers, Amita Saravala covered the numbers that Poway is now skewing more and more, getting closer to 50-50. Remember, before it used to be, Poway used to be a two-to-one ratio of Republicans to Democrats. Now, it's almost 50-50. Republicans still have a slight advantage. So when you look at that District 1 race, you got one Republican, one Democrat. You know, who's going to show up at the polls? I think that's a fascinating race. So Tony Russo is a change candidate. He believes there'll be change the way you wrote it, I kind of thinking of the San Diego State chant, you know, I believe that we will win. Uh, so I believe that we will have change is what Tony thinks. Um, Casey Doan says, thank you for bringing the truth, John. You know, that's what I do. I tell you the truth and I share my opinions and I try to be as accurate as I can with the information that I have. But, yeah, OK, so and Tony Russo saying a, a two hour wait right now. The polls close at eight, right? Are there people waiting in line to vote? Oh, that's unbelievable. Um, how, that's the other thing is why are people waiting to vote um, at the polls when they've had the ballots mailed to their house for weeks? Uh, that's surprising to me. Now, I know, generally speaking, a lot of Republicans prefer to vote on the day of, on Election Day. Because there's, like Mike Devine was saying, there's, there's some trust issues with the way the voting is handled, where the Democrats typically like to vote by mail. 
like to get their ballots in as fast as possible so that they're recorded and counted because you can get the verification through the secretary of state. So, wow, a two hour wait, really? Okay, going down the line, I tell you that the live stream is lighting up. And that's what this tonight is about. It's about a a community forum where you can get involved. Um, Tony Russo says, so, Johnny, Holly Oak Project should have just put an entranceway. And now this project would not have been delayed for possibly months, if not permanently. And, yeah, that's breaking news today, right? Like the the the, um, the the companies that are going out there starting the earth moving I guess they found some archaeological remains of indigenous people there at the Holly Oak Twin Peaks um, development site there right across the street from St. Gabriel's Catholic Church and and that power plant near Twin Peaks uh, Middle School. They found some archaeological remains, and now everything is sort of like what's going to happen, right? There's been a lot of speculation about that in the last 24 hours. Is the project going to be delayed? Are portions of that lot not going to be allowed to be developed? And if so, does that change the number of homes that go in? And does it change the layout of that neighborhood? And to Tony's point, will that potentially change the the inflow and outflow? Or as Pete Neal says, the ingress and egress getting in and out of that community. So we're going to find out. That's a fascinating topic, too. That's not going to get solved tonight. Uh, but we're real curious to see how that one shakes out. Um, who else is coming here? Casey Doan says, gosh, I'm hopeful for Hiram. The campaign Pepin ran is disgusting. <laughs> and uh, we'll, again, share your thoughts and comments. I know there's a lot of people that have really strong opinions about some of these candidates, some of their campaign tactics, some of their messages, you know, whether they're truthful or not. So let me know what you think, you know, um, about the candidates, about their campaigns. Yeah, Hiram Soto has got a very vocal and visible group of organizers that are really cheering him on. Meanwhile, Brian Pepin, you don't see him out on the street waving signs. You don't see a lot of yard signs for Brian Pepin, but boy, you see a lot of ads. He's constantly in my Facebook feed. Um, this, I think it's the San Diego gun owners community is running an ad um, for Brian Pepin, and it's constantly in my Facebook feed. Um, and Brian Pepin is a political animal. He is I, he's similar, I always think, to T.J. Zane. You know, they're both former presidents of the Lincoln Club, which is a downtown business lobbying group, but it's very much aligned with the San Diego County Republican Party. Brian Pepin has experienced running or assisting on a lot of other politicians' campaigns, Brian Pepin knows how to do a campaign and do it well. Whether you like him or not, he is organizing his people, organizing his voters. And even though Hiram Soto's group is really visible and really vocal, Brian Pepin is amassing a large number of people that are going to vote for him. I've commented a lot about the the old guard of Poway and these kind of more wealthy, more established interests in Poway that tend to vote for more Republican candidates, that tend to vote for candidates of similar uh, points of view and like minds that really don't want a lot of um, progressives coming into town. A lot of that group is going to be supporting Mayor Voss, Brian Pepin, and Peter Doff. You can count on all three of those to get a great deal of votes at this race, 
even though they seem to be sort of kind of invisible in this race. Um, Casey Doan going uh, going on, uh, oh, kind of correcting a typo. Uh, Tony Russo saying, yes, I guess, yeah, a two-hour wait to the community center. Now, I was in Postal Annex today visiting my buddy Dennis, who's a great guy, by the way. I mean, I know there's a couple of Postal Annex here in Poway, and I know there's some in Rancho Bernardo. But Dennis Butts at the Poway Postal Annex, right there by um, – what's the name of that donut shop that just opened up um, – uh, it's been like the, the raging sensation amongst the teenage crowd. A Moki Nut, I think, or Mochi Nut is right there next to him and right by Target. Got to go in there and see Dennis. He's such a great guy. And he's a big sports fan, but he likes his L.A. teams. He likes the Lakers and the Dodgers and the Rams, but he's a lot of fun and does great, great service and great work. Well, anyways, he has that uh, Registrar of Voters drop box in that Postal Annex, and I talked to him about it today. And he said that, yeah, they keep coming in multiple times a day collecting ballots, the Registrar of Voters people. But he said, interestingly, that they're not going to collect the actual drop box until like for another couple of weeks, like around the 16th or the 20th. It was some date like that he shared. And at first I thought he meant that that's when they were going to collect all the ballots that were inside the drop box. He goes, no, no, no. They're going to clean out all the ballots. It's just later on because they got to, you know, those things are beasts. They're really big and heavy. So it's going to take them a while to get all those back to the registrar of voters. But he did say that he is staying open later than he normally does. I think he closes normally at 530 or 6, but he's going to stay open until 8. And he's been given very clear instructions by the registrar of voter. If someone shows up at Postal Annex at like 8.05 p.m., he's going to refuse their vote because the polls close at 8. So he's sort of indirectly kind of a voter official. He's got to kind of maintain the integrity of the election. Pretty good on him. So kind of him sort of doing his civic duty as a local business owner. But yeah, why would people wait two hours to vote? You usually hear about these stories like in states where there's a lot less access to voting. Um, Who else? (laughs) We have comments from Chris Olps. If you're in line, you get to vote like rides at Disneyland. Okay. That sounds fair. Um, but imagine like if you hopped in line at 7.59 p.m. and it's a two-hour wait. Yeah, I guess they got to take you. It's just odd that some people would wait that long. Like, you know, back in the day when you couldn't vote by mail, I understand. You know, people work all day and then they come home after work. They got to make dinner for their kids and, you know, they got to take care of some things for the house and they got to race to the polls. And I remember my mo- my mom used to do that when I was growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area. She would she worked all day, made dinner, and then she had like a 30-minute window to get to the polls and and, uh, and place her vote. It's not like that anymore. So it's interesting. But some people do do that. Um, more comments here on the live stream from Anna Quint. Didn't every precinct go blue in 2020? I, I think so, but I'm not sure. Um, I think Amita Saravala said that in our podcast, that every precinct in Poway went blue. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Seriously, it's crazy. Because when you think of Poway, a lot of times you're thinking of that shotguns and pickup trucks demographic. You know, you're, a lot of times you're thinking of, in other cases, sort of like a, um, lifestyles of the rich and famous demographic. And there's some of that here in Poway. And usually a lot of that historically has skewed more Republican, has been more red. But the world is changing. Um, 
You know, the, we've talked about that in the Mita Saravala podcast where in Poway, the Republicans had close to a two to one ratio. Like when I ran in 2014, the Republicans had 45% of the electorate, independents and third parties about 30%, and the Democrats about 25%. Well, now, now it's like almost 50-50 Republican-Democrat. And I think if you add in the independents, it might be like one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third red, one-third blue, and one-third independent. Um, So the world's changing. And in 2020... I'm of the belief there were a lot of Republicans in Poway that didn't want to vote for Trump, you know, and that that's a thing. I mean, that's a real thing. And so I think a lot of while Poway may have gone 100 percent blue in all precincts in 2020, if that's true, um, it's possible in the 2024 election, some of that's going to come back. You know, I think maybe some of those people, if Trump's not on the ballot, they might go back to voting for Republicans. We'll see. Or have they made the permanent change? the permanent shift, Um, because there's been a lot of other policy positions from Republicans, like, for example, the overturning of Roe v. Wade that's got everyone, you know, hair on fire for a lot of righteous reasons. So what's going to happen with Poway as we move forward? I don't know. Um, What else we got here from Anna Quint? Yes, shameful campaigns all around Poway. Nelson has been the biggest disappointment, disappointment with how he treats others. I think we're talking about Dave Nelson, right? So Dave Nelson is one of the candidates for Poway Unified School Board in District B, which is the district where I live. Um, And I see signs. There's some signs um, like about a block or two away from me that are Dave Nelson signs. And then we see a lot of them, you know, the corner of Stone Canyon and Twin and Stone Canyon and Pomerados is a very entertaining sign intersection because you've got all kinds of stop Voss signs, a lot of negative Voss signs. But then you've got also signs that are for um, Frida Brunzel and for Dave Nelson, but there are also signs that are against Ginger Couvret and I think against Frida Brunzel on that sign. So it's all kinds of positive and negative messages and personal attacks. And I get Dave Nelson's emails. I don't know how I got on his list. Um, and he is very blunt in calling out his opponent, Ginger Covret, the, the incumbent, and his other challenger, Frida Brunzel, on their particular policy positions. I think that particular race, the Poway Unified School Board District B, or Area B, where I live, there are three candidates. And you could make an argument that Dave Nelson is kind of the far right candidate. You know, he's kind of more aligned with. I'm going to make an assumption here with the MAGA movement, um, with the uh, let them breathe movement in the schools. Um, And then you've got Frida Brunzel, who is very much a Democrat, very much on the left, talks a lot about inclusion and racial equity, talks about bullying, talks about dyslexia, has a very different agenda than Dave Nelson. I mean, they're like very different. And I know there's been, you know, friction between those candidates on the campaign trail. Um, And then you have Ginger Couvret, who is a Republican, who is the endorsed Republican um, and is the incumbent. And I'll make an assumption that he she is a generally moderate Republican, uh, a person that's very well known in our community in Poway, um, former teacher, a very visible uh, person in the real estate business. Um, and also extremely active in youth sports. 
Um, and so she's got a huge base of supporters. That's another fascinating race. You know, that race is a three-way, and it's possible that a single candidate may not get 50% of the vote. That's also true in Poway City Council District 3. A single candidate might not get 50% of the vote. Then what happens? I don't, I don't think we have a runoff, do we? I think it's just whoever gets the most votes wins. Uh, that was certainly true when I ran in 2014. There were eight candidates, um, and they took the top three. Um, and, yeah, the top candidate, I think, got like maybe 18% of the vote. <laughs> it's incredible when you get that many candidates on the ballot and how it shakes out. So, um, yeah, D- Dave Nelson, interesting character. I've never met him. Um, I just see his campaign. And, yeah, he's a very aggressive um, on, on, the, uh, on the campaign trail. Um, Anna Quint says, yeah, that's what Amit said. And I'm, I think, yeah, every precinct going blue. So, you know, we welcome your thoughts and comments here in this live stream. Um, if you have candidates you support and you want to tell us who you like, let us know. If you've got uh, stories you want to share, maybe something crazy happened that you witnessed. I know there's been people accusing others of tearing down campaign signs. Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes down on these campaigns, especially as we get closer and closer to the finish line. So, I mean, all kinds of stuff going on. But let's let's just take a brief moment, and we're going to get back to Poway stuff. But what do you think about what's happening nationally? Pretty interesting, right? They're saying that the primary issue going, that people are, are talking about going to the polls isn't abortion. It's inflation. Um, so inflation is a driving issue at the national level. But then, you know, the economy is always a hot button, right? But, you know, people say people vote based on their pocketbook, Right. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think people vote their pocketbook because a lot of times people will vote to increase taxes on themselves. I think people vote for what they believe is right. People vote based on their moral code. And that's what drives people to vote. Uh, but the economy is still a huge issue. And then really, which party is better for the economy? You know, stereotypically, people used to think Republicans were better for the economy, but What was the GDP growth rate under Trump? It was like 2%, you know, before COVID. And then Biden gets in office and our GDP growth rate went negative for a while. So, uh, you know, which party is better for the economy? I mean, when is the last time our economy has been roaring when it wasn't somehow connected with a pandemic uh, coming out of a pandemic? You probably have to go back to Clinton. And maybe even certain years under the Reagan presidency when GDP was over 4%, GDP growth. So, yeah, what's going on with the economy? Which party is better for the economy? I think we can make arguments there. The abortion issue, I thought for sure, was going to drive a flood of Democrats to the polls. But still, we're hearing about a red wave. We're hearing about how Republicans are likely to maybe take back the House and possibly um, maybe even win the Senate. Wouldn't that be something? But I had thought that if they ever overturned Roe versus Wade, there would be like riots in the street. You know, there would be, you know, every Democrat would come out of the woodwork to vote to to um, take out Republicans. But that doesn't look like what's happening. So fascinating stuff going down. Um, climate change is another big issue nationally, but it's also an issue here in our city of Poway. A lot of concerns about electric election integrity. You know, Mike Devine has already brought that up here on the live stream. Immigration is a hot topic. Um, now, 
My opinion is we need to let more immigrants in. We have like a labor shortage. If we had more immigrants come into America, we'd see our our inflation rate go down because companies would be more productive um, and supply would start to match demand. But still, you know, Biden is expanding Trump's border wall, which blows my mind. But immigration is a hot topic nationally. There's the war in Ukraine. And then what's interesting is, is normally health care is like one of the top issues in the campaign. We're not hearing much about that, except we're hearing now, like in the in the last minutes of this national race, you know, the typical chicken little calls of um, Democrats saying that the Republicans are going to kill uh, Social Security and Medicare. We hear that every election cycle. I'm of the belief that'll never happen. Um, but it's odd that health care has generally been a relatively mild topic here in this election season. It's something. Okay, so we're going to get back to the um, to the to the, our live stream you know, commenters, and you know, if, if you like what you're watching here, you know, give the episode a thumbs up, you know, give it a heart, a, a like, share it with a friend, let them know this is going down. You know, MSNBC and Fox News and CNN, they're all covering, you know, the Warnock, uh, you know, Herschel Walker race. You know, they're covering Doctor Oz and John Fetterman. Okay, and you go on Channel Eight. They're going to be talking about who's going to be the mayor of Chula Vista. Okay, but if you come here to the John Riley Project, we're going to talk about who's going to be the mayor of Poway, who's going to win City Council District One, who's going to win Poway City Council District Three, and who are going to be the three winners in the three Poway Unified School Board races. That's what we're talking about here on this episode. Um, so yeah, let's take a look. We got some more comments that are flowing in. The chat board is lighting up. Um, and, uh, what do we got here from, where is it? It's from Chris Olps. And he says, yes, John, most votes win. So you don't need a majority. You need just a plurality. Now, in my opinion, that's a bad idea. That's a bad policy because let's just say hypothetically, um, in district three in Poway, one candidate gets 40%. And the two other candidates get 30% each. Well, then the winner only gets 40% of the vote, but the anti-winner vote got 60%. That's wrong. I mean, if, you're, if, if we want to talk about preserving democracy and the integrity of elections, you need to get a majority. And we all know what a pain in the butt it is to go to runoffs. That's why they need to have stacked rank voting or rank choice voting also called um, instant runoff voting, where you could have, if you had three candidates, you could rank them one, two, and three in the order that you want. And then it goes through the algorithm. And, you know, if the number, if your number one choice doesn't get the majority, then your number two choice gets put into the mix and so on. It's a really slick system. And that way we can ensure that the winner gets a majority and we don't have to worry about a runoff. It's a great system. Um, It's also a system where you feel like as a voter, you don't have to hold your nose. I mean, how many times have you gone into the voting booth and the two candidates, you know, the the number one and number two candidate, you don't like either one of them? That was true in 2016. A lot of people didn't like Trump or Hillary. And they typically, when they went into the voting booth, they voted against the other person. The Republicans said, I'm voting for Trump because I don't want Hillary. And the Democrats said, I'm voting for Hillary because I don't like Trump. But they didn't really like Trump or Hillary. Um, That's what our current voting system encourages. But if you had ranked choice voting, then you could vote for who you want as number one. 
you don't have to hold your nose and vote for a lesser of evils. To me, that's what we need to have. Um, Okay, and here's good old Chuck Smith, a.k.a. Mike Devine. Hi, John. This is Mike Devine, banned for another 23 days from Facebook. Happy to be here. Yeah, Mike. What's up, man? Why are you always getting kicked off of Facebook? What are you saying? What are you doing? Um, Okay, so... You know, social media may be changing, man, with uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, but Facebook is its own thing. But you seem to get banned a lot. So I know you like stirring the pot and generating some conversation. Um, Mike goes on. All precincts, five, went to Biden in 2020. Now, there were more than five precincts, weren't there, in Poway? Chris Olps probably knows the answer to that question. How many people were, um, how many precincts exist in Poway? I'm not sure. I think it's more than five, isn't it? I've seen a map and there's definitely more than five zones on that map. Uh, Okay. And then Chuck Smith says, no, Steve Dallas is here. Not Mike Devine. (laughs) What's going on with all these pseudonyms, man? Talking about, what are you talking about? (laughs) I feel like I'm Alan Iverson. You talking about practice? Are we talking about the game? How many pseudonyms do you have, Mike? We're talking about election integrity and voter fraud, and you've got all these pseudonyms? What the hell's going on here? All right. Uh, Steve Dallas goes on to say, rumor has it that Juza was the candidate that got the Friday morning press conference canceled. It's unclear what the importance of as a presence was to the message of the event. Well, there's been a lot of talk about that. Now, I don't know all the specifics. I probably... Won't comment on any of the details because I was I'm only hearing it second or third hand. But what I do know is this, is they were going to have a press conference um, to get the uh, the neighbors on the Hollyoke community. They're right next to that development on Twin Peaks. They were going to get them together with other community activists and other candidates. And then for some reason, the whole thing kind of blew up. But they said they still had an impromptu press conference of which I attended. There were about eight of us there. It's too bad that didn't go down the, the, that way. I don't know who said what or who didn't want to show up. I've heard rumor and innuendo, uh, but I'm not going to go further than that. Um, Chuck Smith says, I am being impersonated. No problem. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I did not bring up fraud. Oh, God. You people, you people, you're making my life more difficult than it needs to be. All right. So um, what else? Just a few more comments. They're going to open up the polls at seven. uh, Well, at eight o'clock, the polls close. And then they're going to the San Diego Registrar of Voters is going to make their their um, document available. And I want to try to bring it up on another window and then share the screen here in the podcast. But I forgot to queue it up. Um, it's usually like a PDF file that they have on the San Diego uh, vote.org website. So I'll bring that up when we, when we find out that it's publicly available. My guess is, is that Chris Olps and some of you others out there are probably hitting the refresh button on the sdvote.org page or sdvote.com page to see when those numbers become available. Um, and when they do, we'll share them. I'll have to go digging for the document, um, but we'll do that together. Um, what else is going on? Uh, you know, let's just go back to inflation. That's a big topic nationally. And who's got a solution for inflation? From what I've seen, neither party has a solution for inflation. The Democrats passed the Inflation Reduction Act, but that was just a repackaged version of Build Back Better. 
it wasn't really an inflation reduction act. It was just sort of rebranded as that. Like the Patriot Act was not patriotic. It's that kind of a thing. Um, the, what the Democrats seem to be pushing for reducing inflation is to forcibly drive prices down with price caps, which is usually a bad idea. Um, and then the other thing is kind of depending on the Federal Reserve to keep ratcheting up interest rates, which that ends up destroying our economy. Meanwhile, the Republicans, I don't even know what in the hell they want to do to solve inflation. They just keep complaining about inflation. But as far as I can tell, not really offering a solution. But you know what caused all this inflation with both parties? <laughs> it was during the whole pandemic under Bo- under Trump. They printed four trillion dollars of cash and flooded the market with it. And then Biden came in and did another two trillion. And they flooded the market with cash, which ratcheted up demand. And then they shut down businesses, broke supply chains with all of these stay at home orders and shutdowns and everything else. So. You had huge demand and low supply, and that's why we have inflation. They have to unwind that, but they're not. Um, so what's the solution to inflation? Are, has anyone got a, an answer to that? I'm not hearing it. Um, what else are we talking about? Uh, lots of – on the local propositions, and I, we had a local proposition podcast that Pete Neal and I did together. We talked about the state propositions and the San Diego local measures. There's a lot of tax increases on the table. Um, I'm very interested to see how those shake out. At the state level, there were multiple – there was a tax increase. I think it was Prop 30, right? There was a tax increase on the uber wealthy to fund – uh, you know, sort of uh, green initiatives to reduce pollution, uh, manage wildfires, pay for electric vehicle charging stations. But you had to be making over $2 million a year to feel that, that pain of that tax increase, almost like taxation as a weapon in some cases. Um, but at the, at the local level, many cities have sales tax increases on their ballot. And I think we've seen that in like three or four different cities. I'm curious to see how that shakes out. Um, what else? Uh, gosh, we're getting we're, – what time is it now? It's 7.53, so we're getting closer. A lot of going on at the national level. Um, God, what else? I've got a bunch of different things here. A lot of other comments I've made. We talked a lot about the Amita Saravala podcast. To me, that was incredible. That was a fascinating conversation because Amit Saravala not only talked about the demographic voter registration change in Poway, But he even said there's only three cities, to his knowledge, three cities in San Diego County that have like a Republican city council, a Republican mayor. And it was Coronado, Poway, and Santee. And everyone else has gone blue. It's incredible. Um, It wasn't that long ago when San Diego County was sort of like Orange County. Remember Orange County used to be like total Reagan country back in the 80s? Back then, San Diego was sort of like similar to that. Um, but, you know, as our population grows, as more people move in, um, as voter and public opinion and culture and immigration, a lot of things happen, that all shifts. And we're seeing that in Poway. And the other thing we talked a lot about in that Amita Saravala podcast was the incredible amount of money that is coming into these races in Poway. You know, we, we talked about how as a candidate to get direct funding, you have a limit of $250. Can't get a contribution any more than that. But the political action committees can support you and they can spend whatever they want. Like I live in District 3 and yesterday I got a mailer from Peter DeHoff. And I should have brought it with me to share with you. And 
I looked at it closely and it talks about public safety and he was endorsed by the police or the sheriff's department or the sheriff's employee union. He was endorsed by the fire department or the fire employee union. Um, and he was big on safety and trails. But then you look real closely and it says this was funded by community voices. That's the political action committee that Amita Saravala shared in that podcast. Dollars coming from the Lincoln Club and other private donors going to Community Voices. Community Voices doesn't have a limit on how much they can spend on these campaigns, um, as opposed to an individual donor with a $250 limit. We saw a lot of mailers like that. Mailers from the San Diego Police Officers Association coming into Poway. And we don't even have the police officers of San Diego. I have no jurisdiction here. <laughs> we're we're uh, you know policed by the sheriff, the county sheriff, not the city of San Diego's police department. So lots of money moving around. And then, by the way, if you're a school board candidate, there's no limit. None. I mean, literally, someone could write a check to a school board candidate for a million dollars, and it's totally legal. Um, you might say that's a good thing. You might say that's a bad thing. You might say that's freedom. You might say it's corrupt. But it's interesting. In the world of campaign finance and how people are really hot and bothered by it, you can get unlimited funding if you're a school board candidate. I was blown away by that. Um, so it's something. You know, the other topic that I'm really interested in discovering as we get into this is if Mayor Voss is reelected, and I think if you're a betting person in Vegas, that's a very likely outcome. Um, I, and that's no disrespect on the challengers. But I think it's, you know, Mayor Voss has got a huge advantage, right? He's going for his third term. He's very well funded. He's part of the political establishment. Um, he's got huge support amongst the old Poway Guard that I've talked about quite often. Um, I'm curious to see that if Mayor Voss wins, what is the margin of victory and how does it compare to his margin of victory in 2018 and 2014? I'm of the opinion that Mayor Voss will probably win, but his margin of victory will be much narrower than it was in 2018. And I ran the numbers. Voss won by 25 points in 2018, 25% of the vote. Um, he got more, he got 25% more of the vote than his competitors all told. Um, in 2018, Voss had 62.5% of the vote for mayor. And the other three candidates in 2018, Brian Edmonston, Emily Johnson, and Yuri Bolin had a combined 37.5. So Voss had 62.5%. The three challengers put together had 37.5. I'm doing my math. That's a 25-point spread. If Mayor Voss wins again in 2022, I predict that margin of victory will be narrower because of all the change in Poway. I'm curious to see what happens there. Um, okay, let's go back to our live stream and get some more thoughts and comments from the crew from the gallery. Love hearing from everybody. Let's see what we've got. Um, and this is from Chuck Smith. I like majority and runoffs, but I oppose ranked choice. Why? Ranked choice is like stack ranking your candidates. It's a good thing. It's a great system. It's very innovative. It's math and it's efficient and it encourages you to vote for like how many people go to the polls and they say, I can't vote for that candidate. That candidate has no chance to win. Right. We've heard that a million times. Right. 
if you have ranked choice, you can still vote for that candidate and you can vote for them number one. You know, the classic example is the 2000 presidential race between George W. Bush and Al Gore. And remember, Ralph Nader was in the mix. Some people said Ralph Nader swung the election. Um, There were a lot of Democrats that really didn't like Gore and certainly didn't like Bush. They wanted Nader and they voted for Nader. But there were a lot of other Democrats that really liked Ralph Nader, but they said, I don't want to, quote, waste my vote on a Green Party candidate who has no chance to win. So I'm going to vote for Gore. But if you had stack rank voting, you could have voted Nader one, Gore two, and Bush dead last. The same thing would have been true from a Republican perspective, you know, depending on the election. I think ranked choice encourages you to vote for who you want rather than against who you don't want. And that's a totally different mindset going into the polls. So I'm a gigantic believer of that. And I'm also a big critic of both the Republicans and the Democrats. I'm a big, I want to see third parties do better. Whether it's Andrew Yang's forward party, the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, I don't care what party it is. I just want to see the duopoly of the Republicans and Democrats start to break down. Because they are successful at sort of rigging the system for the two primary parties. Ranked choice voting kind of helps unwind some of that rigging. And that's why I'm a big supporter of that. Um, Gosh, we've got a whole bunch of more comments. Steve Dallas, who's Chuck? (laughs) Chuck Smith, runoffs do not uh, make me worry. Yeah, runoffs, you know, but runoffs, you got to get people out a second time to the polls. And people... You know, we have lives, man. We can just vote once. You don't have to vote twice or whatever. Just vote once. It's ranked choice voting is also called instant runoff voting because it's like a primary and a general election all in one. It's a good system. And cities and states all across America are adopting it because they look at it and they go, yeah, this makes sense for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Chuck Smith says, I put a picture of Hunter in his underwear. Uh, I don't know what we're talking about here. Um, I thought there were four. What are we talking about? Um, Precincts? Are we talking about candidates for mayor? I'm not sure. Maria Elena Solon Hernandez says, I thought there were four. Going down the list here, Tony Russo says, I will. Um, Did he didn't want to stand next to Tony Russo because I was a Republican? Okay, This is going back to the Hollyoke press conference and the drama there. Tony had mentioned that to me that. Kevin Juza, Tony Russo, Kevin didn't want to appear next to Tony. I don't know. I, I don't know firsthand what happened. These are some of the stories I'm hearing. Uh, Tony Russo goes on to say he wasn't worried about the people, but his own personal interests. OK, now we got some attacks between different candidates. Um, Pete Neal says, I tried to watch this on my MetaQuest 2. Don't bother. 360 view doesn't work. Not sure what that means, Pete. Uh, Chris Olps goes on to say, don't know the number of precincts offhand. It's definitely a big number. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, again, I saw the map, you know, and you see all the different polygons in Poway. And I'm just going to guess 25 precincts, something like that, maybe 20, not five. Um, there's definitely more than that. It's definitely a double digit number. Maybe it's 15. I'm not sure exactly. Um, Marina Elena Solon Hernandez says homelessness and affordable housing. That's been an interesting topic, right, in our race here in Poway. And we hear a lot more about that at the state level because housing's so damn expensive. Whether you're buying a house, whether you're renting a house, renting an apartment, you know, I mean, those 
condos at the Poway Commons, you know, they were originally going to go between six and seven hundred grand. Now they're selling for what, 900, 800, 900? But now the market's shifting back again. Interest rates are going up. So real estate prices are going to come down. Everything's in flux. Uh, one thing's for sure is that one of the big contributors to homelessness, and there's a lot of different contributors to it. I mean, there's no silver bullet solving homelessness. But one of them is the fact that housing's so damn expensive. Remember, there was a candidate that ran for governor in New York, and he's, his campaign platform was the rent is too damn high. That guy was great. Uh, And he's right. Rent's expensive as hell. You know, I'm of the opinion we need more supply. Um, I'm of the opinion you there's been, you know, great demand to live in California, great demand to live in San Diego, great demand to live in Poway and Rancho Bernardo. But the inventory is so small. And when you have a lot, you have very low inventory and great demand, what happens to prices, right? They go up. So housing is going to be a problem on an affordability basis, especially in a community like Poway Rancho Bernardo, where we have a really good school district and people want to move here. Um, So that's always going to be an issue. Now, people are calling for affordable housing that's either in these new developments that the that the developer makes some of the houses less expensive. Well, they do that by making the other houses more expensive. Um, In other cases, some people are saying well, we need to have more government programs that subsidize housing. I, I'm, I'm really happy that California Democrats in Sacramento are starting to open up to new, more innovative ideas to housing. You know, for the longest time, you couldn't build housing unless you had a, um, a certain number of parking spaces per unit, uh, per housing unit. I know that's been a hot topic here in Poway at the Fairfield development. Um, some people arguing that there's not enough parking that's going to be there. Chris Olps, I'm sure if you're on the live stream, you could probably tell me the numbers. But now what they're talking about is allowing higher density apartments and condos in a close proximity to mass transit. And in those cases, the parking requirements can be a lot less. I like that idea. I really like that idea because now we have more supply. We're now thinking differently, thinking more innovatively. Um, and by doing so, we're going to make housing more affordable. Is it going to be affordable for the single mom on a minimum wage job with four children? That's a whole other ballgame. Um, and that involves a lot of other government programs that get involved in that. Um, but I'll tell you what, housing would be a lot more affordable in, in our community if there was more supply. And you talk with a lot of real estate agents and they'll tell you about the inventory. And when inventory is low, you get bidding wars and prices go crazy. And I think that's what we were seeing at the Poway Commons. But that's going to start to change as the interest rates start to go up. Chuck Smith says, solution for inflation, get rid of the R's and D's. Well, yeah. I mean, inflation is caught. I mean, do you know who Robert Reich is or is it Robert Reich? He's the former labor secretary under Clinton. He, his Twitter feed is unbelievable. Robert Reich is a, is a very left wing progressive guy and he's intentionally provocative. We're seeing a lot of that on Twitter amongst politicians like Bernie Sanders and, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, especially on the left, that are – intentionally provoking people with really hot takes on Twitter. Usually politicians are a lot more careful. Well, Robert Reich is, is saying the reason we have high inflation is because of those damn greedy corporations. 
Well, yeah, corporations are raising their prices, but they're doing it because the incentive structure that government policy set up encourages them to do it. When people have all this new money that's been flowing into them for, from all the, these handouts, the $6 trillion, aggregate demand in the market is way up. And meanwhile, the supply chain still hasn't fully recovered. I mean, try go buying a car and you're paying well over MSRP because the supply chain is still whacked out because of all the shutdowns and stay-at-home orders and that completely distorted the market. Corporations are always going to try to get the most they can for their product. And shoppers are always going to try to pay the least amount they can. And usually in a marketplace where there's competition, that kind of tends to balance out. There's a certain level of equilibrium. Um, but when there's distortion and there are, there's less competition or in other cases there is insane demand, then, yeah, prices are going to get whacked out. I often say – I'll respond to Robert Reich on Twitter sometime and I'll tell him, when you sell your house – you're going to try to get the most you can for that house because you're going to try to get what the market can bear. And I don't blame you one iota for that. That's what you should do. Um, and that's exactly what these corporations are doing. Um, and But ultimately, inflation, in my opinion, is caused by government. It's a monetary policy primarily. But a lot of these other regulations and distortions have created a supply chain problem. And, a, and those are, there's a lot of reasons for inflation. But almost every one of them, the source of the river is the government. And Republicans and Democrats are the ones that run it. That's part of the reason why I want to see new perspectives, new points of view, um, rather than the same old blue and red teams. Um, Chuck Smith says, my, in my interest national level. Chuck says, Orange County was red until they legalized ballot harvesting. And here we go again. Um, Orange County's changed a lot. Um, Santa Ana is a huge um, Latino community lives there. Uh, demographics have changed. Demographics of the wealthy in Orange County have changed. Voting behavior has changed. Um, Orange County has been on a steady trend in the direction of becoming a blue county for a long time. Since Reagan, it's been a steady erosion of a Republican majority in Orange County. And what is it now? It's, I think it's a, it's a slightly Democratic-leaning county now, which is incredible how things change. Delana Gilroy Ulp says, hey, yeah, I'm here for the party. Had an appointment. All right. You know, this isn't a happy hour one. We're still trying to keep our wits about us. It's 8.09. Has anyone, has anyone found out if, they're po if they posted the results? I'm going to go check the, uh, the website here in a minute. Chuck Smith said 64.2 for Voss last time, not 62.4. Oops. Okay. Sorry. Um, I went on Poway.org on the city website, and they had a document that showed the voting results, and that's what I used. And I did the math. I might have had a typo on the calculator. But, yeah, Voss had like a roughly two-thirds of the vote, right? Maybe a little bit less than that. Um, what's it going to be like this time? I'm curious. I'm of the opinion that Steve Voss has never been more vulnerable. There's a, we've talked about the demographic voter registration shift. There's a lot of... There's a lot of angry people in Poway because of all the development, because of all the change. And it doesn't matter if they're Democrats or Republicans or independents. There's a lot of people that are upset. So I think I still think Steve Voss is going to win. I just think his margin of victory is going to be a lot narrower. And I'm curious to see what the numbers look like. 
Delena Olp says, I'm here. Switch to YouTube. Yeah, we're live streaming on both YouTube and on Twitter. Excuse me, YouTube and Facebook. My bad. I got to start opening this up to other platforms. I could go to Twitter. I, I, that, sh- that would be an easy one for me to do. Um, but I can only get the live stream commentary on the chat from Facebook and YouTube. Um, so that's my main focus are those two. But I'm really thankful to everyone that's already here. And we've had a nice group here on the live stream. And I try to get everyone involved here. Um, JP says, John, I absolutely agree with you on wanting third and fourth political parties to be able to play a larger role in U.S. politics. Yeah. I mean, some of the third parties now you might say are wacky. They got crazy ideas. But you know what? A lot of the ideas that they present have become mainstream. Like back in the 1970s, the Libertarian Party was a huge advocate for gay rights, for gay marriage, for really ultimately for equal rights. And now look where we are now. Um, now, um, you know, there's, for the most part, equal rights for, you know, gays, lesbians, I mean, the whole group, LGBTQ+, plus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're seeing a lot of other changes that are reflected. I mean, from the, the, from the Republican side, I mean, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, school choice was something that only radical um, groups wanted, only religious groups wanted. You know, the, I think like the so-called Peace and Freedom Party, I think is a very religious-oriented party. We're pushing policies like that. That has become more mainstream in the Republican Party. So those third and fourth parties have had influence that has been successful, but it just moves too damn slow. And a lot of it is because the Republicans and Democrats rig the system for them. In some states, they purposely make it really hard, if not impossible, for third parties and independent candidates to get on the ballot. In many cases, it's way, way, way easier for Republicans and Democrats to get on a ballot than a third party or an independent candidate. You know, we hear all this stuff from Trump that the elections are rigged. Now, a lot of his claims of rigged elections, I don't necessarily agree with. But on another level, the elections are rigged because because of candidate suppression. I mean, and think about this. Roughly speaking, in the United States of America, there are more people that identify as independent than identify as Republican or Democrat. But when we have the, the, the national debates, last time it was between Trump and Biden. Prior to that, it was between Hillary and Trump. How come there's no third person there representing all the independent voters? We only see two. And it's like that every election cycle. You had to go all the way back to 92 when Perot was in the debate with Clinton and Bush. Remember that one? That's when Bush was looking at his watch, George H.W. Bush. Um, But Perot made the debates in 92. And so what did the Presidential Debate Commission do? They raised the requirement to make it harder for third party and independent uh, candidates to get in. And so they're always faced with a chicken and egg problem where – you can't get in the debate unless you have a certain level of public support, but you'll never get that level of public support if you're not in the debate. So it's catch-22. I, I, we need new ideas in this nation, and the Republicans and Democrats keep churning out the same old thing, and it kind of drags me down. Um, Tony Russo says, not a personal attack, John, just stating facts, bud. Hiram Soto reached out to me to be united and we agreed. And then it all got stopped after the wheels were in motion. Not what we as a community should stand for. Never personal. Great show. Thanks, Tony, for the, the props. Yeah, I know there was a lot of drama with that supposed press conference in the Holly Oak community. Um, moving down the list, Delana Ulp says, 
How do we accomplish that when they keep reducing our MTS in Poway? Yeah, public transit sucks in Poway. It's awful. Um, And it's a problem. Yeah, and I think a lot of the development that we're seeing where they're able to build more, where there is going to be less parking requirements, that's going to be in more urban areas of San Diego County, right? Like probably – and I'm just guessing here, City Heights, North Park, Hillcrest, South Park, you know, it'll be in those communities where there's a lot more higher density and a lot more access to public transit. Now, a lot of people say we need more public transit in Poway. And, I, you know, I'm not a big proponent of public transit. Um, I'm I'm a believer that the world is going to be changing here as electric vehicles and self-driving electric vehicles become more intelligent. Um, they're going to get more people from point A to point B where they want to go more efficiently and more effectively. Um, but a lot of people still believe in buses and and trains and monorails. I even heard one suggestion on Facebook that they need to put a monorail right down the center of Poway Road. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Um, yeah, I mean, mass transit stinks here, and it's always been bad. I don't know what the solution is for that. That's probably something for the sandag people. Um, Chuck Smith says, many cities nationally are reducing parking requirements. Yeah, that's my understanding. And it makes building easier. And when you make building easier, then there's more supply, and then prices start to come down, or at least stop going up so radically. The other thing they're talking about doing is also building housing that is maybe smaller, you know, studio apartments that they don't have to meet certain regulatory requirements. They can actually have more high density living. I mean, you want to talk about a solution for homelessness. Imagine having places that are available where it's a lot more affordable to live because a lot more people can live in a certain place. Uh, But as long as there's uh, such strict regulations about parking and a lot of other rules, it's just going to drive up housing and it's going to make it harder to build. Um, Chuck Smith says, Robert Reich is so short he can't see his desktop or reality. Yeah. He, how tall is he? He's like 5'3", something like that. He's an incredibly smart guy, very articulate, and really can make a presentation. He loves those animated cartoon drawings that he shares on Twitter all the time. And uh, um, so uh, – but, yeah, he's been very provocative on Twitter for the last few years. Chuck Smith says Latinos are family-oriented conservatives. Yeah, I think that's true in some cases. Not in all. Um, I think one thing we can say is, is that um, that depending on whatever demographic group, group identity, different ethnic groups, mixed bags, right? I mean, different perspectives, different points of view. And uh, I think we're going to find some Latinos are family-oriented conservatives, in some cases very religious. But there are a lot of other Latinos that are very progressive, and I think it varies. And uh, – Kevin Kennedy says, looks like Voss, Pepin, DeHoff so far. Um, are we saying that the numbers are out? Are they out? Okay, then I am going to give me a moment here, and I'm going to go to the San Diego Vote website, and let me see if I can find the document. And if I can, okay, election results. Here they are. And I'm going to try to – let me see if I can make this work. If I can share my screen. And I think I can here. Yeah. Share my screen. And here we go. And 
we're going to go to that one and share. Can you see the screen? I hope you can. I, I've got, I only have one monitor, so I'm going between two different tabs. So let's see what we got here. I'll turn this off so we can see this a little bit bigger. So it looks like, uh, yeah, Newsom, 56%. He's rolling. He'll, he'll win easily. And we go, this is going to be a long document, right? So I think I've got to do a search, and I've got to look for Poway. And here we go. Ginger Couvrette, 49% so far. Um, Frida Brunzel, who was my most recent guest at 32%. Dave Nelson at 18%. So uh, this is kind of going as I expected it would because Ginger has such strong um, – uh, uh, a strong brand presence in in our in our local community. Um, and the second one, Patrick Batten, another candidate here that joined me on the podcast. But Heather Plosky is like only two percent apart. That's a close race. So Patrick Batten is the Republican uh, uh, candidate, you know, trying to take over the seat that's currently occupied by T.J. Zane. Um, Heather Plotsky, the Democratic endorsed candidate. Um, Jason Bennett, I'm not sure who he is, but he doesn't seem to be a factor in this race. And then, of course, Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe is just landsliding it, getting about, you know, a two to one ratio on the vote. I, that's fully what I expected we would see from Michelle. So let's go down the list here a bit. And where are we? In these races, and boom, city mayor. Um, and are you, are you guys seeing the screen as I'm going through this? Hopefully, you can. Um, Steve Voss at 56 percent. Aha. Okay, last time he had 62, 64. That's a point of debate. Um, Delta Esparza at 31 percent. So Voss is almost at a two to one ratio. Um, Yuri Bolin is at seven percent. And then, then these are the two other candidates: Emeka uh, uh, Ibekwe. And Bavana Kansal. Now, I'm of the opinion that these two candidates, even though they're not running active campaigns, could be factors in determining the outcome of this race because together they are about what? Am I doing my math right? About 4.3, 4.4% of the vote. So if um, Delta can narrow that gap with Steve Voss over the course of, of election night as the, as the tally comes in, those two candidates might throw the election in one direction or another. Now, here's Brian Pepin and Hiram Soto. That's right now 55% to 44%. So Pepin is leading. And this is kind of going as I thought. Remember I told you, if I'm a betting person in Vegas, I had Voss, Pepin, and DeHoff winning uh, because of, I mean, it doesn't matter who I'm rooting for. That's who I think is going to win. And that's what it looks like is shaking out in my own District 3. DeHoff with 44%, Juza with 37%, and uh, Tony Russo at 18%. But it's still early. So this is great, right? I mean, this is really cool. So we're going to learn a lot more about these races, and I encourage your thoughts and comments as we go down the list. Let's go back to the comments here. And this was what Kevin Kennedy said. Yeah, it looks like Voss, Pepin, and DeHoff so far. That's what we're seeing kind of as I expected it to go. Now, how is this going to shake out? Now, my understanding is, is that the votes that are being counted now are primarily the votes that have come in by people voting by mail. Um, let, me, let me stop sharing this other screen. So these are people that are voting by mail um, over the last couple of weeks. So they've been adding them up and tallying those numbers. 
Um, but there's still going to be more votes coming in. Like, you know, if they're waiting in line for two hours at the Poway Community Center, well, yeah, that's going to take some time for them to go through that. We're not going to get final numbers maybe for another day or two until the dust fully settles. So um, it's, it's going to be something. So let's see here. People are texting me as we're doing the live stream. I want to make sure that I don't miss any messages here. So what do we got? Okay. Got a text from Hacksaw. <laughs> you know, I do, a, I do a live stream podcast with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, and we talk about sports. And so he was just sharing with me, send me the link to today's podcast. So I got to get that to him today. Okay. What else we've got? Um, Christopher Olp said, precinct map seems like closer to 50 plus precincts. You can see it here, minor filtering, and uh, he shared the, the link. So, yeah, check it out. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. There are a lot more precincts. Now, what's interesting is that the precinct maps changed in Poway. So I live, you know, I pretty told people generally where I live. I live off of Stone Canyon Road in, in Poway, you know, kind of in the Green Valley area, kind of, kind of on the edge of Green Valley. And I used to, when I walked into the polls, I used to always go to that retirement community that's just north of the hospital. What was the name of it? Um, Green something. I can't remember the name of it. But it's back there, you know, where there's there's senior, like, assisted living um, kind of facilities there. And, of course, they're kind of surrounded by all the medical offices. And I remember I used to walk in there, go through the cafeteria, and they'd have a room, and I used to punch my ballot. But then something happened, and then, and then I had to – when I went to walk into the polls, I would have to go all the way to St. Gabriel's Church on Twin Peaks. Now, I mean, it's not that far of a drive, but usually the precincts are – supposed to sort of be like in walking distance, right? That's sort of the whole concept to make it easy for people to vote, that they could just walk there. Because I remember back in the day, people would vote in, in their garages, right? People would set up poles in, in people's two or three car garages. Um, but then, yeah, it changed. And then suddenly we were going down to St. Gabriel's and filing our ballot there. But what was interesting is that uh, every election season I went, the it was easier and easier to vote there because so few people showed up at the polls. Most everyone was voting by mail. And still, now say what you will about voter ID. I'm not a fan of voter ID. I think voting's a right and you should just vote. Um, but I still am amazed they never checked my ID. They, they say, what's your name? I say, John Riley. They go down the list. They see, oh, there you are. Is that your address? Yes. Check. Here's your ballot. And I would go vote. Um, so I'm not a supporter of voter ID, but I'm still amazed that it doesn't exist because you would think that would be something that they would do. Um, but they don't do it. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Um, Pete Neal says Voss is at 56, Delta at 31. So that's the initial data. I'd imagine we're going to see updates later on today or tonight. I would imagine they're going to have periodic updates every hour or two. Here's a story. Um, when I ran in 2014 and, uh, it was, it was election night, and God, what was the? I can't remember the gentleman's name. It was one of our my, one of my few donors I had for my campaign, and he hosted an election party at his house, and he lived in the Heritage, a beautiful home, and uh, he was supporting myself and Charles Sellers and Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe. 
because he was really angry about the billion dollar bond. And so after that 2014 election, he hosted an election party. He says, yeah, bring your family. I'll bring food. It will have some fun. And so the first is just like this. The first vote came out on, on screen about 15, 20 minutes after the polls closed. And I was in fourth place. And I'm like, hmm. And they took the top three. And I was like, oh, I wish I were in the top three now. Well, maybe it's going to change. Maybe it's volatile. You know, maybe I'm going to move in a second or I'll move in a first. Or... And then the next one came out and I was still in fourth. And in fact, the gap between third and fourth grew a little bit. And it became very clear to me that they had such a significant sample size that were already counted in that initial run of votes that any additional votes were going to likely follow a similar pattern. It's like polling, right? It was going to follow a similar pattern. And that gap might narrow a little bit, might expand a little bit, but it wasn't going to like radically change. Now, things are a little different these days because Republicans generally like to vote closer to Election Day, usually the day of, and the Democrats vote ahead. So you would assume that as the election gets closer and closer to the end, that the Republican candidates start to narrow that gap. Um, and again, that's why everyone's focused on what they're doing when they're counting the votes and all the hysteria about the possibility of fraud. Um, but generally, I think when you see numbers like that and you see Voss at 56 and Delta at 31, Voss is going to win. Um, it, it, I mean, Delta, wonderful lady. I enjoyed my conversation with this. is not disparaging comment about Delta or Yuri at all. But when you have a 20 to 25 percent um, or 20 to 25 point gap right out of the initial gate, um, it's it's going to stay there. And, and in fact, if more Republicans show up, you know, the day of, you can make an argument that Voss's, uh, that gap might even widen further. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, Matt Brannigan says, oh, you're live. Love it. Yes, we are live and interactive. You know, CNN has got their coverage of the Warnock uh, Herschel Walker race. We're not doing that. We're not live at Golden Hall with, you know, uh, Kimberly Ann Hunt and the Channel 10 crew covering the mayor of Chula Vista. We're here on the John Riley Project doing the live stream. And all we're talking about is the Poway mayoral race, the two Poway city council races, and the three Poway unified school board races. That's all we're focused on. And we may be a few, a few national comments may drift in here from time to time. Pete Neal says Pepin at 55, Soto at 44. Okay, so, yeah, that's an 11-point gap. Um, again, Hiram Soto, great man, like Hiram, loved having him here in the podcast studio. Hiram, that's a big gap. That's going to be tough to overcome. And this is what I was saying before, this, this Poway old guard, it's like a silent majority. Um, you, they don't make a lot of noise. They, they're not on social media a whole lot. They're not on street corners waving signs very much. But it's like this undercurrent of people that are connected, this undercurrent of people that are hosting, um, you know, kind of candidate meet and greets that are bringing these candidates to their home and having meetings with 20 or 30 donors at a time. And that is this underground network of people that 
is a big part of Poway, in Poway politics. And that's why this kind of establishment, this sort of old guard consistently drives a lot of these elections. Um, and I was interested to see how this was going to shake out because of the changing voter demographics. Because according to Amita Saravala, it's close to 50-50, Republican, Democrat, right? But there's still all the independents. So who are they voting for? You know, I think we're saying Poway is roughly one-third Republican, one-third Democrat, one-third independent. Well, it looks like a lot of those independents are more voting for the Republican candidate. In this case, Mayor Voss. In this case, Brian Pepin. And in this case, the newly anointed Republican, Peter DeHoff, who, by the way, so I've heard, changed his voting registration to Republican right before he got the party's endorsement. Interesting how that works. That's all the stuff behind the curtain in politics. It's something. Delano Olp says, wow, those are close numbers. Yeah, I think we were talking about in the Poway Unified School District Area C, Patrick Batten and Heather Plotsky. I mean, that's like a 2% gap. Now there, anything can happen. A 2% gap in the next round of ballot counting, Heather might start to make up that delta, might be able to get ahead. Curious to see how that's going to shake out. Um, Pete Neal says, DeHoff at 44, Juza at 37, Russo at 18. Now, I was speculating in this one, in District 3, that it was likely no single candidate would get 50%. I said, wouldn't it be something if no single candidate even got 40%? And that could happen. That could happen. So we'll see. But right now, yeah, this is a three-way. Now, imagine if there was a ranked choice. There are two change candidates, Juza and Russo. Imagine if you were a voter that wanted change, you could have, let's just say hypothetically, had Juza as your number one, Russo as your two, and DeHoff as your three. Well, if that would have shaked out, then it's likely that DeHoff would lose. But because we don't have ranked choice, because it's now the plurality, right? Not even a majority, a plurality is all you need. You know, that's not democracy, right? Democracy is you need a majority. That's what a whole democratic vote is supposed to be about. So um, it's crazy. So, uh, oh, we got people on the live stream. Oh, my son is watching my live stream as we're going. This is great. Okay, so let's go. And he's watching the live stream from Oklahoma. All right, here we go. Delena Olp says, I think the Dems are divided and the Republicans are divided too, but stick together better. I think it won't be long before we see a real shift or split in both parties. It's not, it's going to take a long time. Uh, there's so much money, so much corporate interests that are backing the Republicans and Democrats. The likelihood of a third party being a serious viable candidate um, or viable um, challenger to the status quo, pretty slim. But uh, hey, you know, Things could change. I know what Andrew Yang is trying to do with the four party is pretty interesting. Um, it, he's still early in on that, but he's trying to get more of the moderate Democrats and the moderate Republicans to join forces. We'll see. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of problems with our current Repub uh, Republican Democrat system that I don't really care for. Um, Pete Neal says, oh, and Yuri is at seven. So Yuri still in there. You know, Yuri was out there. He, he, Yuri Bolin, the candidate for mayor. Great guy. 
um, hustling. I mean, he was out there knocking on doors and he's kind of a one man operation. You know, you think about these candidates, you know, we think about little old Poway. It's, uh, you know, it's just our neighbor, Steve Voss, and our other neighbor, Yuri Bolin, and our other neighbor, Delta Sparza, all running for mayor. But behind the curtain, those political parties play a huge role in pushing their endorsed candidates along. Those political parties are doing not only organizing with political action committees, but they're also doing mailers from those political parties. I mean, even the San, the San Diego County Democrat Party came knocking on my door and dropped off a door hanger of all their endorsed candidates. So they've got armies of people going out into the precincts, knocking on doors, promoting Democratic candidates. The Republicans are doing the same thing. Yuri Bolin is a one-man show. He doesn't have that. He's an independent candidate, and he's out there doing the hard work, man. So good on you, Yuri. I mean, I know he's got a huge uphill battle, but he's out there fighting the good fight, and I like that. I like seeing that sort of participation, participatory democracy in our community. Matt Brannigan says, I see you're sporting the designer stubble this evening. Well, you know, it's Movember, right? So every November I try this. I think, oh, let's see how long I can go with not shaving or sort of not shaving. Uh, and I get to a point where I just go crazy and I have to shave it off. So we'll see how deep into November I get. It's November 8th in Movember. So we'll see what happens. Um, Steve Dallas says, uh, did the San Diego police ever catch the sign thief who stole all of Delta and Hiram's signs? Do we know if the investigation is ongoing? I don't know. You know, this kind of shenanigans happened when I was a candidate in 2014. There are people that are stealing signs. Now, some people think it's a conspiracy that their competition is taking them. In some cases, that's sort of been true, right? I mean, Barry Leonard, or one of our city councilmen, his daughter was caught stealing signs of Barry Leonard's competitors right out in front of the Jersey Mikes at the intersection of Twin Peaks and Pomerado. That's documented. But in other cases, I think some of the signs are just, you know, you, you got teenager hoodlums that are just destroying signs. I mean, in fact, it was the 2014 or 2018 election cycle. Some teenagers, you know, tore up or stole some Steve Voss signs and Voss was able to figure out who it was. And and the name of those kids became public. I can't I think I remember their name, but I'm not going to say it. And so. uh yeah, so you have some hoodlums that are just, you know, being teenagers and being goofballs. But then there's other people that just don't like signs, you know, like get these goddamn signs out of here. And they're, they're pulling them out. Um, but even in my I remember my election cycle in 2014, I would put up signs. And it was interesting because I that's when Voss was running for mayor in 2014. And we communicated a lot then. We don't communicate much at all anymore. But back then we did because we were both candidates. And I would notice sometimes that my signs would be gone and his signs would be gone, but other signs would remain in certain locations. And I remember texting him sometimes going, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, we're seeing this in other parts. And so there's all this BS with signs that goes on all the time. It's crazy. Uh, so do we, we, we saw the picture of some person that was knocking over a Hiram Soto sign. There's a lot of conspiracy theories of who that person is. I'm not going to speculate, but who knows? But it's stupid shenanigans that goes on with this all the time. Steve Dallas said, did the San Diego police ever catch the thief who stole all of Delta and Hiram's signs? Do we know if the investigation is ongoing? I don't know. 
Um, Chuck Smith says high-rise modular apartments going up in San Diego. That's good. That's a good thing. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. That's why I voted – well, I couldn't vote in the San Diego propositions, but I think it was Prop C – was the one where they were going to raise the height limit around the San Diego Sports Arena because right now it's only a 30-foot limit. Um, I am a big proponent of eliminating that limit because we need more housing and you can't go horizontal much unless you want to start building you know, out in Borrego Springs um, or in the Anza Borrego Desert. So you have to start going vertical. And in communities like the Midway District, which is, you know, near downtown San Diego, they need to start going vertical there. Um, and I'm a big supporter of that. And so, yeah, there's more modular apartments going up in San Diego. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's going to make housing less expensive. Um, so Delana Olp says, so did Chuck vote for Hiram? He's Latino. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, stereotypes based on ethnicity is dangerous territory because uh, you'll usually find out you're wrong. Screen, yes. I guess everyone was able to see my screen when I was sharing it. It's blurry, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. And if you can go check it, go to sdvote.com or is it .org? Uh, SD. Oh, actually, you can also go to livevoterturnout.com. But yeah, it's sdvote.com. At the sdvote.com website, they're right on their front page. It says election results. And you can click on that. And let me click on it here one more time. Um and I'm, it says oh, this is it's at twenty five point three percent voter turnout. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there's a lot more votes that need to be counted, but most likely, it's going to break similar to the ratios that we've already seen. Um, it's unlikely someone is going to radically get two or three thousand votes overnight. <laughs> of course, if they did, Mike Devine will be convinced it's fraud. <laughs> Uh, but it's unlikely to happen. It's like it's like a sample size of a poll, you know, like where they can do an election poll and they'll talk to a thousand people and they project that across the country. And it's usually pretty close. And it's the same kind of thing here. So uh, Chris Olp says uh, Voss 62.5 percent ROV last election. 62.52 percent last election because facts matter. Yeah, that's what I had. I, I rounded it. I said 62.5%. Um, Delena Olps, I think the Olps family are on, com on competing computers here, uh, participating in the John Riley Project live stream. Thank you for doing that. She says those SDDSA hit pieces and support really does help. I mean, Peter really didn't campaign at all. So what is that? San Diego Deputy Sheriff's Association. I think that's what we're talking about. Um yeah. I mean, they, they send those things out and most people don't really read the fine print. They think it's from Peter DeHoff. You look closely, you find out it's, it's funded by other organizations. Um, and those those organizations are backing their candidate. Now, why would the fire department uh, or the fire employee association, the firefighter employee association or the deputy sheriff association, why would they back certain candidates? Now, they say it's all about keeping city streets safe. Well, that's true. But really, the reason they back them is because that candidate is most likely going to vote to approve a raise for those employees when it comes time to renegotiate that contract. Same thing is true in the school district voting. You have candidates that are endorsed by the teachers union and the, and the Poway School Employees Association. Well, they back those candidates and they're not doing it just 
for, you know, shits and giggles. They're doing it because they expect a return on their investment. They expect to be rewarded when it comes time to renegotiate their contract. So that's what's going on. Um, I mean, let's not pull any punches here. And yeah, Peter DeHoff didn't really campaign much. I mean, I, I saw that he was at the community forum that we that the San Diego or the, excuse me, the Poway Chamber and the Green Valley Civics Association did. I've gotten some of his mailers, but a lot of them weren't from him. Uh, the one I remember seeing yesterday was from Community Voices. And I invited Peter DeHoff to come on this podcast and he declined. Now, uh, his two competitors came on. But see, I think my what my hunch is, and I've never met Peter uh, directly. I think we might have had one or two exchanges in social media. But my assumption of his strategy was just sort of lay low, stay under the radar, and just kind of go in under the coattails of Mayor Voss. And if 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 he's supported by Voss, then that whole sort of Poway old guard kind of falls in line. And I think that was his campaign strategy, and it's working. <laughs> he's winning, right? Um, and Perhaps he thought going on a live stream, long form conversation was too risky. He might get into an uncomfortable situation or say things that he didn't want to say. I don't know. Chuck Smith says, my friends are asking, where am I getting live local election results? Search John Riley Project. Yeah. Go to the John Riley Project YouTube page and the John Riley Project Facebook page. And that's where we're doing this live stream. And we're covering our local election. This is kind of fun, isn't it? Now, next time I should have like three or four people here around the table um, and uh, make it, you know, so one of you can be, you know, <laughs> just like the people on all the different cable news networks where you've got like two Republicans and two Democrats. I mean, we could do something kind of fun like that. The other thing we can do in this podcast, and I encourage you if you're interested, I have in the past hosted what I call happy hour podcasts where it's like it's like a glorified Zoom call where we each have our own window and then I'll be the moderator and we'll take questions and comments and we'll have panelists and take turns answering questions. If you want to do that on one of my future podcasts, send me an email to john at johnreillyproject.com. Uh, Nancy Brunjet says, can you give some PUSD updates? Well, I did give some earlier. Um, have the numbers changed? Let me look and see if they've changed. And if they have, I will reshare my screen and I will let you know. So let's see what we got here. And okay, they have not changed. Um, But I will share the numbers on my screen just so we can see them. And let's make sure I'm doing this right. And it's this one here. And boom, there it is. Can you see that on your screen? Um, and, uh, in, this is with 25% of the votes so far, uh, Ginger Couvret, and this is the area B, this is the area where I live. Ginger Couvret has 49% of the vote. Frida Brunzel is at 32% and Dave Nelson is at 18%. In Poway Unified District, uh, or trustee area C, um, where, we have a very, very close race. This is the most competitive race in our local community. Patrick Batten, the Republican-endorsed candidate with 48.3%, 48.38%, and Heather Plotsky with 46.38%, precisely a 2.0% spread. And if I'm looking at my numbers there, it looks like it's 
119 votes separating the two. Am I doing my math right? I think I am. That's really close. That could change. Heather could maybe jump ahead. Well, there's Jason Bennett with 312 votes at 5.24%. Well, Jason, you're not going to win tonight. But Jason, you may be the factor in flipping this election one way or the other, right? I mean, because the amount of votes that you have is more than the difference between Batten and Plotsky. Interesting stuff. Okay. Um, and then in, in trustee area D, Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe going for her third term, um, a Poway school board president multiple times. You know, it used to be that the school board president would rotate on an annual basis, and it was sort of a ladies and gentlemen agreement. But they don't do that anymore. You know, they're, they're, for the longest time, there was kind of a group of three that were, were kind of organized, and, and they were against the other two. And uh, the other two back then were Charles Sellers and Kimberly Beatty. And they would just kind of keep the presidency amongst those three disproportionately more often than the other two would get it. Apparently, this mayor, the mayor of Poway used to be like that, or other cities do mayor like that, where the mayor sort of rotates. And I think here in Poway, even our deputy mayor might sort of rotate. I'm not sure. But at any rate, Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe has 65.46% of the vote. Janet Bremseth is at 34.54%. So that's like a 1,800-point vote difference. Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe is going to run this going away, just as I predicted. Um, she, Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe is extraordinarily well entrenched in the school establishment. Her mother, longtime, well-loved teacher in the Poway Unified School District. I think she was the Poway Unified School District Teacher of the Year, or was it California Teacher of the Year? She's won awards like that. Um, I believe I may be speaking out of turn, but I think maybe even her father was somehow involved with the school district as well. So there's, there's, and again, I might be wrong on that, but there is tremendous um, connections that O'Connor Ratcliffe has amongst the teachers union and, and other people within the, uh, the establishment there at the PUSD headquarters on Avenue of Science. They're right behind Costco and Carmel Mountain. Um, It's no surprise that she's got two thirds of the vote. Um, Janet Bremseth, I don't know who she is. Um, I don't, I'm not sure about her candidacy. I, it's hard for me to comment. But a person that has very little name recognition is going to have a heck of a time taking out someone like Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe, who, like I said, it's going to be hard to beat. Now, I'm not saying that I support Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe. Frankly, I, she was my opponent in 2014. Um, just like every politician, they're all a mixed bag, right? There's certain things you like and there's certain things you dislike. Um, but I just, you know, from a, if you were making it a bet in Las Vegas, pretty hard for O'Connor Ratcliffe to win. Okay. Let's go back to this screen here. We're still rolling. Hey, if you like what we're doing, um, give a thumbs up on Facebook or a thumbs up on YouTube. That helps kind of promotes the podcast. It's good in the algorithm. Um, You could also subscribe to my YouTube channel, John Riley project. And if you click on the bell, you'll get alerts whenever I have new episodes, new live streams. Uh, A lot of times I take my live streams and kind of cut them into pieces and upload little, uh, little nuggets that you can 
consume, like that only take you like four to five minutes rather than sitting through a two hour conversation. So subscribe on YouTube. And also this podcast, the recorded version is on all the popular podcast platforms. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, and a bunch of others that I'm leaving out. So, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast as well. Or you can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com, and uh, get on my mailing list, too. That'd be a good thing to do. All right, let's keep going down. Enough of the self-promotion. Uh, Chuck Smith says, the only time the gap between a candidate A... Oh, it looks like you got cut off. Let's try this again. The only time the gap between candidates changed was Trump versus Biden <laughs> in Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona in 2020. Okay, here we go with the conspiracy theories. Um, though I'll say this in those races, it was extremely close, right? Um, it wasn't like one candidate had 65 and the other had 35% of the vote. And then overnight, you know, the 35% was the winner, you know, those, those races were really, really close and yeah, they counted the ballots and they turned out in ways that, some Republicans are still convinced that Trump won that election. I, I don't drink that Kool-Aid. Uh, let's keep moving. Delana Olp says, Delta doing much better than Yuri is surprising since he said all you need to do is go to city council meetings. Good for her as a newcomer. Well, you know, I, I have great respect for every candidate that's run. It takes a lot of guts to go out there and do what they're doing. Um, it takes a lot of guts for their family members to support them through all of this, because not only are they, they out there constantly campaigning, but their family name is in the news. There's signs all over town with their family name. You know, that's hard. That's hard on a family. And it's hard for those candidates. Um, Delta Esparza has lived in this general community, I think, for like, what, 12, 15 years. I think she used to live in RB, um, not too far from RB High School. And then about three years ago, she bought a house in Poway and she started noticing all the changes in our city. And she said, what the hell? And so she decided, I don't like this. I'm going to make a change. And she stood up and ran for office. She didn't find any alternative candidates that she could support. You know, no offense to Yuri, but there was no one there that she felt aligned with that she could support. So she said, well, I'm just going to step in and do it myself. Wow. Wow, we need more people like that in America. I'll tell you what. Now, she had a tough assignment. Going up against Mayor Voss, who's going on his third term, who's deeply entrenched, is very politically savvy, very connected with the Republican Party, all the political establishment in San Diego County. Remember, he ran for supervisor two years ago. He almost won the damn thing. I mean, he came. It was insane close race. I mean, was it like less than a tenth of one percent? It was something insane. It was so close. Um, so he was almost county supervisor. That That's a tough out, trying to beat Mayor Voss. Even though there's a lot more Democrats in Poway, even though there's a lot of people angry with all the development, Mayor Voss, say what you will about him, he's a very savvy political person. You know, he wears that cowboy hat, not only because he likes to wear a cowboy hat. He wears that cowboy hat. It's a branding device. That's how people know him as the guy with the cowboy hat. And oh, by the way, he's from Poway, the city in the country. And here's a guy that wears blue jeans and a cowboy hat. That's marketing. 
That's branding. He gets it. Okay. Now, I know a lot of people hate him because of the cowboy hat, and they think it's disrespectful when he wears it indoors. But that's kind of part of his packaging. It's very well calculated. Um, you know, don't, don't underestimate that. So um, at any rate, yeah, Delta, what, had 31% so far? Maybe she can narrow that gap. But if Voss has 55 and Delta's at 31, or was it Voss at 56, Delta's at 31, that's 25 points. But remember, Bolin and the other two candidates are going to have more votes to bring to the table. So remember, in 2018, Voss won by 25 points, roughly 62.5 to 37.5. to 62.5% of the vote in 2018 was for Voss, and 37.5% of the vote was for the other three challengers, Edmonston, Johnson, and Bolin. Now, Chris Olps will probably carry me out to uh, the 100th decimal point <laughs> on this, but it was roughly 62.5 to 37.5%, so 25-point spread. This election, I contend it's going to be narrower. How much narrower? I don't know. But already the initial numbers is that it's narrower, just as we expect. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Uh, feel free to type in your questions and comments on Facebook or on YouTube, go to the John Riley Project Facebook page or the John Riley Project YouTube page. Uh, Steve Dallas says, were the negative campaign signs against Voss and PUSD candidates effective? Did they depress votes, influence voting for challenges, or did they backfire? My hunch is they backfire. Um, when you first see them, they're kind of like, wow. For some of the can signs, you first see them and you think, ooh. That's that's tough. That's a hard hit. Some of them you see them and you kind of laugh. I mean, just kind of some of the messaging is kind of funny in some of the cases. But when I see anti-candidate signs, especially in a local race, well, I think that's going to most likely backfire. I don't think that's helpful. Now, if you are out there talking to the people you're campaigning, you're at a candidate forum, you are talking to people at a meet and greet, you're knocking on doors, you definitely have to explain how you're different. You have to, you have to say, I represent these policies. My competition wants these other things. You have to explain how you're different and therefore how you're better. A campaign sign, pretty darn hard to do that. I think they backfire. Um, Matt Brannigan says, I was very impressed by Delta after her interview. Yeah, I was too. Uh, I knew in advance that when Delta came here that she was going to be an intelligent person. She was, you know, she's highly educated. She is a defense contractor, an engineer. Um, I expected her to be a person that would, would be knowledgeable about a lot of things in our city. And she is. But challengers are often at a disadvantage on these sorts of things because the mayor is living, eating, and breathing the minutiae and the detail of what goes on in the city. The incumbents always know more than the challengers do. Oh, well, maybe there's some rare exceptions to that. So there were cases where Delta Esparza even admitted she didn't know, but she said, I'll find the answer. I'll get back to you. And that's exactly what you would hope to find from a candidate like that. Um, it's hard for them to know everything. 
especially, you know, when they've got a day job and, you know, they got a life, right? A lot of our city council, you know, a lot of them are retired or if they work, they don't work a lot. So for them, this is kind of what they do. Um, they know the detail in the city a Quite a bit. So, yeah, it was very impressive. I'm impressed with all the candidates and what they brought to the table. They all had great knowledge of what's going on in the city. Again, some more than others. Some maybe getting misinformation and sharing it and then later learning. I mean, even Yuri Bolin admitted to that, that he was being um, – he was getting inaccurate information and then he later corrected himself. Now, there's still some people in our city that believe what Yuri's calling inaccurate is still accurate. And that's debatable. We can go down that rabbit hole, but I won't. Um, Chuck, Miss, Chuck Smith says Yuri doubled his support from last time he ran. Yeah, good on you, Yuri. Um, you know, Yuri is a long shot. We all know that. Um, but, you know, good on you, man, for going out in there and running. Again, I big props to every candidate that runs. It's hard. It's a really hard thing to do. And it's you have to really be vulnerable. I mean, you're just putting yourself out there. You're like it's like you're naked. Um, it takes a lot of bravery, a lot of courage, a lot of guts, a lot of intestinal fortitude to do what these candidates do. Especially if they are out there being really aggressive in their campaign. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, Chris Olp says. 634 to 703 so far, so 70 people, not quite double. Is Are we talking about Yuri Bolin's votes? He had 634 last time, 703 now. Yeah. Well, you know, in that's just not going to get her done, right? You know, as Larry the Cableman would say, uh, Voss in 2018 got 12,895 votes. In 2014, Voss got 8,481 votes. You know, this is another interesting story. So in 2014, the mayoral race between Voss and Higginson, I did the numbers here, there were a total of 15,336 votes. So just say roughly 15,000 people voted for mayor in 2014. In 2018, 20,627. So say 20,000 voted in 2018. So 2014, 15,000 people voted for mayor. 2018, 20,000 people voted for mayor. That's a huge increase. Why? Okay, more people are moving into town. That's true. People are generally more politically involved these days as our nations become more polarized. Politics is kind of more in the zeitgeist, as they say. That's part of it. Um, there's also, yeah, people that, are, that have been inactive politically suddenly paying attention. Curious to see what the total numbers are in this race. If they go from 15,000 votes for mayor in 2014, went up 5,000 in 2018, will it go up another 5,000 to 25,000 votes in 2022? Maybe. We'll find out. Delena Olps says, Chris Olps didn't have any endorsements. He did flyers and actually tried to do things. Yuri needed to do way more than just show up to the meetings, and, uh, and others tried to tell him that, and he said no. Okay. Voting, I'm sorry, running for election is difficult. Can you run for election just by showing up at city council meetings? Yeah, you can, but you're not going to win. You're going to get a very low turnout. Um, 
it is extremely difficult for any candidate to win, even in a local race, if they don't have the endorsement of their main political party, either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Because remember, they have that whole machine behind them of door knockers and and door hangers and mailers and the affiliations with the political action committees and all this, this army of people and money and time. When I ran in 2014, I didn't have any of that. I was like Yuri. I was a one-man show. Actually, I beat some candidates that were endorsed by some of the major political parties. I was proud of that. Still didn't have enough. It's hard to win as an independent candidate. It's hard to win unless you have an army that are because, you know, you can't speak to everybody. Your network has to talk to people, you know, and they'll run into people at the Little League field or at a church event or in the grocery store. And these kinds of conversations are going on all over town. And if you don't have that army of people, you're at a gigantic disadvantage. So, um, and Chris Olps didn't have any endorsements either. Um, and Chris, full respect to you, you didn't win either. Um, and again, I think it's hard. It's hard to win unless you have those endorsements. So we like to think a little old Poway. Our neighbors are running. We look at our ballot. It's, there's no partisanship. You don't see a D or an R next to their name. We're not supposed to know they're Democrats or Republicans when we look at the ballot, but we kind of already know that. But behind the curtain, oh, my God, there's a lot going on behind the curtain that most people never see. Chuck Smith said, sign whiners, all of them lost, projects, projects weakness. I would never complain. Yeah. You know, I'll just say this about the signs. Um. When I ran in 2014, I put up a lot of signs around town. You could put them up in what they call the public right of way, which is sort of like it's not private property. It's kind of public property, but it's like right near a street corner. Um, some of those areas, you were able to put up street uh, campaign signs. And in 2014, there were tons of campaign signs. And people got really angry. And I remember Dave Grush was very outspoken and he wanted to shut down. He went, we need to make these campaign signs illegal. It's messing up our community. There's too much clutter. In fact, there was a recent letter to the editor at PomeradoNews.com, some people in Rancho Bernardo saying the same thing. All these signs in our community, this isn't the, the, the quiet, you know, Americana town we moved to. And now all this clutter, all this politicization, yada, yada. And so the city council in Poway passed a sign ordinance that made a lot of those signs illegal. Now, on one level, you might think, oh, well, damn right. Should it, you know, it's about time. I mean, our, our city was looking like hell, all this mess of signs. But you know who that helps? Helps the incumbents. <laughs> it makes it harder for challengers to get their name out. And oh, by the way, this is like a violation of the First Amendment. You've got a government entity, in this case, the city council of Poway, suppressing speech. I mean, even on private property, you are limited to the size of the sign you can have in Poway. Now, again, we don't want billboards in town. I get that. But if we're going to support um, free speech in Poway, you can't be 
limiting people's political signs. That's insane. That's just wrong. Um, and so I, I'm a huge, huge um, opponent of the sign ordinance in our town. From my perspective, I'm, I'm a big free speech guy. I mean, legit free speech. You know, some people say they're for free speech, but they're not. I am. Um, and when I see all these, these campaign signs during this time of the year, and I know my mailbox, my wife gets angry at all the mail we get, but I like it. <laughs> to me, it's reflective of what makes America great is that you've got all these people with messaging and they're sharing their message. That's great. Now, granted, there's a dark side of that with the money and every, we've kind of talked about that, but I don't think there should be limits on that sort of thing. Um, and especially for campaign signs, because it's hard to pay for a mailer. It's expensive. But you know, signs on the street, getting your name out, I mean, that's makes it easier for local candidates to do that. I know there's a lot of people disagree with that point. But uh, but anyways, behind the scenes, there's also the shenanigans of people stealing signs and calling out candidates for violating the sign rule and a lot of this BS finger pointing. And it's nuts. Um, it just people say they're for freedom and free speech, but yet they want to suppress other people's freedom and free speech. It's stupid. Okay, moving on. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, I like Delta's stance on roundabouts, but I'm English. So that's a given. It's more likely to put Powegians off. I, it could have been the death of her. Um, I love the idea. You know, I, my, my family was up in the UK uh, last December. And yeah, there are a lot of roundabouts. Like on freeways, there are roundabouts. Um, they're not really freeways. They're more like highways. But uh, the, the roundabouts, if you ever, a lot of Americans have never driven on one. Um, you get in it and, and you're in this circle and they're like, you can, it's like uh, you enter at six o'clock and you can exit at three o'clock, 12 o'clock or nine o'clock. Um, the first time you go in it, it's crazy. And there's a certain etiquette to going through these roundabouts. But once you figure it out, it's, they're actually pretty cool. I mean, they keep the traffic flowing. You're not stuck at a light or a stop sign. You're not worried about people running stop signs or running lights because there's a kind of a calculated flow through these things. I love the idea. I love that it's innovative. I love that it could be helpful in our city. And I also like the song Roundabout by Yes. <laughs> I was just watching the, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of Yes, and it was like in 2017, and Chris Squire, you know, I think it passed away by then, so they got Getty Lee from Rush to play bass on it, and it's just fantastic. Um, but it, I digress. That's the song Roundabout by Yes, which I love. But I think it would be great to have roundabouts in Poway. And so, yeah, um, uh, Delta talked about that. Um, and other candidates, talk, I think Kevin Jews, I think, talked about it, too. Uh, so I like that idea. Um, Chuck Smith goes on to say, Chris Olps, Yuri Bowen's per percentage went from 3% to 7% so far. OK, so it's, it's moving along. Yeah, the, the total numbers are way down because they haven't counted all the ballots yet. We're only looking at initial numbers. Um, it, it, I'll just say this. I mean, again, Yuri Bowen's been on this podcast. I like the man, but it is curious. His candidacy was very curious to me because he, in 2018, was very outspoken against Mayor Voss when he ran. And, you know, he was very supportive of the church thrift stores, and he still is. And he was very supportive of filling in a lot of the vacant spots in on Poway Road, and he still is. But he was... In this election cycle and the few years leading up to it, he had been praising Mayor Voss 
in ways that seemed unusual. Um, and then he's running for mayor. Now, if I was if I was Alex Jones and I had like a conspiracy theory hat on, you might say that he was in the race to further diffuse the anti-incumbent vote and make it easier for Steve Voss to win. Now, I don't believe that's what's happening. Um, I'm just having fun with the idea. Uh, but even though it, it, the numbers that Yuri Bolin has, has received were not anywhere close to being a factor in closing that gap. But his candidacy has been very interesting. Um, a lot of people are sort of scratching their heads. Why are you supporting Mayor Voss but running against him? Um, that was that was unusual. Delena Ulp says, I'm pretty good at watching that site. It gives me PTSD at this point. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, you talking about SDVote.com, you know, for the election results? Um, or, or are you talking about Nextdoor, which is that place is bananas. OK, uh, Christopher Ulp says, sure, if you want to look at that, the reason why would be Voss having less than 7,000 7, less votes this time. Since percentages and actually people, his support barely changed. Yeah, his percentage-wise ballpark were sort of tracking similar to 2018, right? But I still think percentage-wise that is going to narrow. On a percentage basis, he won 25% spread or 25 points, as they say. I think that number is going to be less than 25. Now, will it be significantly less? It's not going to be four. It's not going to be eight, but it might be 15. It might be 18, might be 20. I think it's going to be less than 25. That's that's kind of my my projection. OK, well, we got a lot more comments here, a lot from the same people, which I love. I love the people that are commenting, but I want more. You got more comments and thoughts. Type them in on Facebook and on YouTube and I'll, I'll share them on the screen. Uh, Delana Ulp says, yes, most of those packs are unions. Well, um, some of them are. Yeah, like the um, the the Deputy Sheriff's Association, I, that's a union, I, I think. And then the San Diego Police Officers Association, I believe, is a union. But other PACs like Community Voices are not unions. So, you know, it, it, there, there's some overlap, and but they're all kind of incestuous, right? The, underneath the, the hood, there's money flowing. And I think we learned a lot about this in this campaign season. Money from the the Lincoln Club and other private donors was going to Community Voices, who was doing a lot of campaign mailers and things in our in our city of Poway. But then we also saw Community Voices giving money to the San Diego Police Officers Association, and then they were doing things. In some cases, San Diego Police Officers Association gave money back to Community Voices. So it's this sort of undercurrent of it's like rivers underground. That's what it's like. Um, so now it's like land of the lost. OK, so uh, Delana Hope says you got Peter DeHoff dead on, John. That was his strategy because he did fair. He did fairly cringe at the Green Valley Civic Association Forum. Yeah. Peter DeHoff's strategy was to stay under the radar. Don't say anything. They'll get him in trouble. Um, just go in on Mayor Voss's. Um, coattails, and you're likely to win. And that's what's that's what's happening. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. So now, if he is um, an elected school, uh, it's not school board, but if he's an elected city council person, I still would love to have him here in the podcast studio. 
and I'll ask him about his candidacy and I'll treat him just the same as I did all the other candidates. And, you know, when I was talking to the other candidates, I wasn't shooting bullets. You know, I, I was letting them share their story. That was the whole point of the podcast conversations I had. And that that still opportunity still elects for these candidates after they're elected. If you want to come on and explain what you're for, what you're against, maybe talk a little bit about your strategy during the election. I just want to learn more about you and your family. You have that opportunity. Door is open. Uh, Chuck Smith said, okay, again, so there's a conversations amongst different people in the podcast. Chris Olps, I had recommended Yuri visit a client who wanted to fight um, a development. She liked him, couldn't vote for Voss, but she wouldn't vote for a Democrat. Um, yeah, well, Yuri Bowen, I think, is a Republican. Um, that's my understanding. Uh, moving on down the list here, Chris Olp says, well, the added supporters can be counted on a few hands. Glad you can identify one. Uh, Delena says, yes, our deputy mayor rotates in Poway. I believe Encinitas still rotates the mayor position. That's interesting, isn't it? I guess some cities have what they call as a strong mayor, where the mayor actually has a lot of authority. In other cases, the mayor is sort of a symbolic figurehead. They're just one of five votes on the council. What is it in Poway? Does the mayor have special juice, more power than another city council person, or is he just one vote? I mean, obviously, the mayor is going to get the attention in the race. The mayor makes a little bit more money, although not we're not talking big money. The mayor makes a little bit more money. Um, the mayor is the spokesperson. But does the mayor have more power? I don't know. I think a lot of that's delegated to the city manager, if I recall. Delena Olp says, uh, love the Nuggets, John. Great job there. Thank you. And yeah, I'm a big fan of the Denver Nuggets uh, NBA team. Um, Kiki Vandaway played for them back in the 70s. Uh, Christopher Olp says, two-hour conversations. Who would do that? Well, not you, Chris. You would go for three and a half, maybe three hours, 15. We've had multiple uh, podcasts of that. That's the beauty of these podcasts. We just talk and we have fun. We learn. We share thoughts and ideas, and then we share this with our community, and we get our community chances to participate and enjoy the discussion, and we learn more. And you know what? We might discover that that person that ran for office, who everyone, not everyone, but some people don't like, actually not a bad person, might actually like him or like her. Yeah, that's what this is about. When I do my solo podcasts, I inject my opinions. I'm, and I'm doing a lot of that in this, in this uh, election review because um, I'm by myself. Although, thank you for those of you who are watching on the live stream. But I'm in my studio by myself. I don't have a guest sitting next to me. So when I'm here, this is when I – a lot of people were wondering about me. I, I saw some people talking uh, – People were sending me messages where in other Facebook groups, they were like, who is this Riley guy? Is he is he a left winger or a right winger? Who is he? What is he about? You know, people are asking me, well, if you listen to my solo podcast, I tell you, and you're already hearing a lot of it here in this episode, which I enjoy sharing. I enjoy the conversation. Casey Doan says, yes, so hard. The way Dave Nelson campaigned against Frida was disgusting. Absolutely nasty. Yeah, when, when Frida was here, you know, we had a wonderful conversation. But, you know, she let me know that it was tough. You know, when she went to the Green Valley Civic Association Forum, 
there were groups of people that I think were supporters of Dave Nelson that were very aggressive um, in their questioning. And they were the ones putting up negative signs about Frida. Um, you know, Dave Nelson, again, I've got his emails and he he's blunt. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, Ginger Kufret is for CRT and she's for this and Frida's for that. And I don't know how accurate any of it is. It might be true. Um, now, granted, CRT is like college level graduate program academic. It's not something that's taught to third graders. Now, there might be elements of that taught in our schools, but CRT is not taught in Poway schools. Now, there might be influences of it. But at any rate, yeah, Dave Nelson was very aggressive. And I, you know, I'm sure, Dave, if you're watching or listening to this podcast, I would hope you would agree with me. You have been aggressive. And I think for some candidates, you know, like President Trump was very aggressive. Uh, and that worked really well for him, whether you like Trump or not. I'm no Trump fan, but uh, it worked for him. And it got his base fired up. And frankly, a lot of his commentary about the other candidates was like a comedy routine. And we're seeing it now with um, Governor DeSanctimonious in Florida. So uh, moving on. Um, wait, uh, from Delano Alves. Wait, is Chuck actually Mike Devine or is Steve Dallas? Or is he on both sides under a fake name? Mike, just be Mike. Okay, I'm confused now, too. I always thought that all three were the same person, like the the Holy Trinity, right? Uh you know, Chuck and, and Steve and Mike are all the same. I don't know. Mike, uh, but Mike's been banned on Facebook. And so he has these pseudonyms he goes under. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, it was really funny seeing the tons of Poway related, related signs just the other side of the San Diego border on Camino del Norte. Yeah, you definitely see it. They won't put them in Poway because it violates the, the sign ordinance in the city of Poway. Now, the city of San Diego has a similar sign ordinance, but it's not really enforced that aggressively. So you can get away with it. So it's either on Camino del Norte, just as you're going up the hill towards World Trade Drive, or it's like in front of the CVS pharmacy there, um, Camino del Norte and was it Paseo Lucido? But then the ones that I see are right next to the Sprouts on Pomerado and Stone Canyon. They're on the Rancho Bernardo side of the road on Pomerado, on the two corners there. And all kinds of anti-Voss, anti-Couvret, and I think anti-Brunzel signs I've seen there. Um, and some are comical. Some are aggressive. Some might be mean-spirited. Some might say they're just being accurate. I'll, I'll let you be the judge. Uh, Chris Ulp says 282 votes-ish. <laughs> now, that is a shot at Voss. That's how many votes he lost in his run for county supervisor two years ago. Out of how many votes cast? Like 300,000, something like that, right? So, I don't know, do the math. I might get my decimal points. You're, I'm sure, Chris, you have a calculator nearby. He lost, Voss lost the county supervisor seat to Joel Anderson by less than a tenth of 1% or was it less than a hundredth of 1%? I mean, crazy close race. Um, Jim on the live stream says, Voss is an act, in quotation marks. Poway voters need to look past the gimmick. Okay. Well, 
he is an act. He's, he's, he's Buck Howdy, right? That's his alter ego. And he's, has, um, he has, he, that's one of his uh, personas that he performs. He does children's music. And I think he has children's books and things he's done under the, the Buck Howdy name. He, he's a performer. I mean, that's what he does for a living. He's a performer. Not just a, a musician, but a performer musician. So he, he understands how to market himself. And yeah, the cowboy hat. Now, sure, he was brought up on, you know, in, in, I think he has horses on his property in Poway, I think. Um, and I know that he is from, I think, Virginia originally. And, you know, he's always been a, a you know, kind of a, a rugged outdoorsman to a degree. So the cat, the, the cowboy hat has some authenticity, but let's be real. There is a marketing or branding angle to that when you are the mayor of the city in the country and you happen to be a cowboy hat wearing, blue jeans, cowboy uh, boot kind of guy. You know, that sort of dovetails nicely, doesn't it? So um, it's something. Okay, moving on. Delano Opes, I'm cracking up. John, I just heard Chris say the exact numbers. Um, okay, I, I, this is we're talking on previous conversations. Where are we? Chuck Smith says, Casey Doan, Dave Nelson worked very hard, had dedicated supporters, but had no name recognition. He became well-known by attacking both Grigginger and Frida. That's politics. Yeah. Um, it seemed to me that Dave Nelson came into the game later. Ginger Kuvrat, of course, was always there. She's the incumbent, extremely well-known. Then I remember seeing Frida as the challenger. And Frida, to her credit, I mean, she was, you know, wearing out the shoe leather, knocking on doors, covering almost all of the Rancho Bernardo portion of her territory in Area B and much of Poway, too. But she knew that Ginger Kuvrat was like the queen of Poway. So she knew that that was going to be really hard for her to win the precincts in Poway. Here we go talking about precincts again. Dave Nelson seemed to enter near the end, uh, at least from my perspective. Maybe he got in earlier. I just didn't pay attention. Um, and there is a very vocal community that are part of those that are kind of the uh, pro-parent movement that we have seen being very aggressive in school board meetings, not just at Poway Unified, but it's a phenomenon across the country. So, yeah, there's a there's a certain percentage of our community that are aligned with Dave Nelson, and they're out there sharing his message. A three-way race against a really strong and well-known, powerful incumbent, that's a tough assignment. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so that's how that one's sorting out. Okay, moving along. Casey Doan says, Chuck Smith, it's shitty politics and it shows character or lack thereof. Yeah, politics is messy. You got to have a thick skin. You do. But yeah, I mean, you know, you be the judge. Uh, when you see negative campaigning, you might say, yeah, right on. You go get them. In other cases, you might say, hey, you've that's beyond the pale. Uh, we don't need to go there. And then you make your own judgments. Uh, moving on here. Matt Brannigan says, one of the biggest things about being mayor is that you must be a good communicator. I don't particularly like Steve Voss much, but he is terrific in this regard. Um, yeah, I mean, my experience with Mayor Voss is that uh, if I ever needed to talk to him, he would always take my call. Now, I haven't, 
since I started my podcast, um, I've been in some cases critical of the mayor. In other cases, I've been supportive of the mayor. Um, and again, a lot of people questioning if I was a Voss supporter this whole way through and yada, yada. And I'm not. Um, but uh, my experience has always been that he'll, for me, he's always taken my call, responded to email. He, he used to have like what they called office hours, kind of quote unquote office hours at the um, hamburger factory. He used to do that for a while on Saturday mornings. I'm not sure when that stopped. I don't know if that was because of COVID or something else. But uh, yeah, to me, I, I find him to be accessible, but I'm certain there are other people that are in our community that will say the exact opposite. Uh, Matt Brannigan said, Don Higginson may have been a great mayor and a great man, but he was a very poor communicator. He takes more to be mayor than just knowing how to wield a giant pair of scissors. Yeah, like at the ribbon cutting ceremonies. I want to share this. Um, now, Don Don Higginson had a again. I don't know the detail, but he had a speech impediment of some kind. Um, he was it was difficult for him to communicate. Um, but due to smart as attack, and and Ed Franklin, when he was on one of the podcast episodes with me, he told me as such because he grew up with Don Higginson here in Poway, knows him very well, and he said the same thing. But here's a fun story about Don Higginson and me. So I told you on 2014 when I ran and it was becoming clear that I wasn't going to win. And by this time, I'm still at my my campaign donor's house where all the food is. And there's two of my fellow candidates who are clearly going to win. And I wasn't. And by this time, my family were like, uh, we're going to go. And I'm like, OK, the writing's on the wall. So I said, well, if I've lost this campaign, then the the last thing I want to do is have all my signs around town the next day. Um, and right now, by this time, it's like 10 o'clock, you know, because like what time is it now? 930. So it's like 930 or 10 when it was clear to me I wasn't going to win. And so I said, OK, I'm just going to stay. I, I put so many signs around town. I was probably the most egregious, <laughs> you know, uh, person that ignited the whole sign ordinance in Poway. But at any rate. I just said, I'm going to go get every one of my signs. I'm going to clean them up. And that is what I can do. And it's going to be my therapeutic thing to get through this whole business when I lost the election. So here I am out picking up my signs and I kind of knew where they all were. And guess who was like doing the same damn thing? It was Don Higginson. And we were independent of each other. But he saw me and I saw him and we would be in one neighborhood picking up signs and then we would each go our own way. And, we're, and by this time, it's 2.30 in the morning and we're driving all over town. And then we'd show up in another neighborhood and there's me and there's Don Higginson. And we were doing the same thing. We just wanted to – when people woke up in the morning, we just wanted it to be over. And uh, you know, to his credit and I think to mine, we, we took care of our business. Um, but interesting how when Don Higginson lost, he was the incumbent mayor in 2014. He lost to Steve Voss. As far as I can tell, that was the last time an incumbent lost. It's really hard to beat an incumbent in Poway. That's why it's really hard to beat Steve Voss as mayor. And Brian Pepin and Peter DeHoff, even though they're not incumbents, they're kind of like incumbents. Because they're supported by the city council, they're really hard to beat too. That's why it was so incredible that Voss beat Higginson. 
And I'm trying to remember the details of why all that happened. Seemed like it was just people want to change, but I don't remember why. Do you? If you can remember, type them in in the live stream and let me know. And I know there was a lot of drama with Voss and the Betty Rexford recall, and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about that was 2012, I think, or 2010. I'm talking about 2014 when he won for mayor. What was the reason he won? Do you remember? Um, Delana Ulp says, I think you are 100% right. It's hard to play without a team. Well, you know what, Delana? I'm always right. At least that's what I like to think. But you're right. It is hard to play without a team. I mean, you need huge support to win these elections, even in local elections. Um, our team was amazing. They were our friends and neighbors. I applaud those that run, but it's a group effort. Hard to run as a lone wolf. Oh, God. Now, one of the things that I really like about the district elections that we have now in Poway is that it gives lone wolves sort of an opportunity to compete because they have a much smaller geography to cover. And I think that's a good thing because not everyone is going to have the backing of the Republican or the Democratic Party or have mailers coming from the Deputy Sheriff's Association, the San Diego Police Office Association and Community Voices and all these other groups in this Poway Democratic Club. People just don't have those endorsements, but they should still be what's the right word? They should still feel like if they got into a race that they would still have kind of a shot, right? Because that's what democracy is supposed to be about. That's why the districts are good because it makes it smaller. Like when I ran for school board, there were no districts. I had to cover a territory that was 100 square miles, 10 miles by 10 miles. It was impossible to do as as a solo person. I went and knocked on doors It was exhausting. (laughs) I had maybe one productive conversation an hour doing that. It was impossible. That's why you have to have an army to go out there on your behalf. Um, Chuck Smith of love politics, love signs, love meeting candidates on the street. Hiram, Pepham, Ginger, Yuri. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this is, you know, this only happens like, you know, once every two years. Um, There's some exceptions. This is what makes America great. Oh, hey, by the way, how's Pete Murray doing in the race? Let me look him up. Pete Murray is my neighbor. He's running for judge. Um, Let me look him up here um, on the list. Ooh, this is close. Okay, let me make sure if I got the refreshed version. I mean, it's like crazy close. Yeah, it is. Pete Murray, my neighbor, who's been a podcast guest here on the John Riley Project twice, has 50.8% of the vote. And his challenger, Pete Singer, has 49.2%. Ooh, 1.6%. That's like, uh, what am I looking at here? About 6,500 votes, if I'm doing my math correctly. That's amazing. Wow. Now, that's another. This one might go down like the Voss-Anderson race. Um, If you get a chance, if you're so inclined, go on my YouTube channel. And I took the last Pete Murray podcast we did, and I broke it into segments on different issues that the judicial system is facing. And it's fascinating. He was telling me about court backlog and about drug issues and all kinds of things. It was incredible. Um, Pete Murray's a good man. He, he coached with me at Poway National Little League. That's how I got to know him. His kids went to Poway High. My kids went to Poway High. And he's a good man. Um, so I'm really hoping he wins. 
Uh, Delana Olp says, uh, yes, he literally just abandoned all his supporters. It was nuts. He turned on people who respected him. It was disillusioning. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I think the chat might be 30 minutes behind where I am talking. I'm not sure who you're talking about, Delana. Um, Trevor, Buck Howdy. That's my son, I think. Yeah, how you doing, Trevor? Yeah, Buck Howdy is uh, the alter ego of uh, Mayor Voss. And he would go into the, our local schools and he puts on like a different cowboy hat. And he's got the chaps and he's like a children's, like a Captain Kangaroo, but a cowboy version. Um, and, you know, with a deck of 51, I guess. And and he goes into these classrooms and he he sings cowboy songs, America songs. And it's a thing, you know, and, and he won a Grammy, too, not as a singer. I think spoken word for a book that I don't know if it was his book or he was narrating someone else's. But that's like a whole thing. I don't know if he's still doing the Buck Howdy routine anymore. But that's kind of cool, too. I mean, if you're a musician and you kind of have you're pursuing one channel for your music, but then you have this other alter ego and and you can kind of create a whole other audience and revenue stream from that. That's kind of cool. Good for good on you. OK, Delana Olp says, uh, I was more talking about police and fire. It's mostly their unions that supported candidates in Poway. That's why the other candidates with those endorsements always said, safety is our number one priority. Well, true. You're also going to hear that more often from Republicans. They're going to talk about safety. There are legit safety issues going on in Poway. I mean, there are people that are getting their catalytic converters robbed from underneath their car at three in the morning. Um, there are other people that are seeing their cars being broken into just from their ring doorbell video cameras. Uh, other cases where people are literally breaking into people's houses, stealing cash and jewelry, even when the family is in the house asleep. Now, crime overall in America is way, 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 way down since the early 1990s. But le- recently there's been a little uptick and it's a legit issue. Um, but I remember Tony Russo kind of got his uh, feathers ruffled when he starts hearing about crime as the number one issue. And he doesn't think crime is the number one issue in Poway. He thinks mm-hmm. it's trust and communication and respect um, from our city leaders. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, most of, I mean, that's kind of the meat and potatoes though. Still, safety is important. It's one of the main issues that a city does. It's roads. It's public safety, it's parks, you know, waterworks. <laughs> Those are the meat and potatoes of what city government provides. Um, Delano Olp says, mayor is just one vote that makes like 500 more. That's it. So I guess, okay, it's mostly ceremonial. Okay, John Carson. We have a new voice in the live stream. John Carson, two hours is just a start. Yeah, John and I went like three and a half hours. Uh, Delana says, John, I was talking about your clip nuggets, but Denver is cool too. Thought I liked the Clippers. Yeah. I knew you were talking about the clip nuggets, but I parlayed that into a witty comment about Kiki Vandaway. Sorry about that. Um, Jim says, big money from developers will continue to run the city. Too many mayoral candidates, a problem too. splits the vote. This is why we need ranked choice voting because the whole concept of a split vote goes away when you have ranked choice voting because ultimately it does – the algorithm calculates what would be the primary and the general election all in a one so that 
you won't have a candidate hypothetically getting 45% of the, the vote and winning because the other three to four candidates fragment the anti-incumbent vote. Ranked choice voting solves that. Yeah, I mean, we had big money coming in from developers in this race, and every one of the candidates that were aligned with the developers is winning. So one could expect we're going to see more of this. Now what? What's going to happen in 2024? There's going to be two more races in city council for districts two and four. So District 2 is Barry Leonard's seat, and District 4 is Kaylin Frank's seat. So are there going to be big developer money flooding into those races? And oh, by the way, is Mayor Voss going to run for supervisor again in 2024 or something else? You know, I don't know. Um, Maybe there's going to be a mayoral seat up in 2024 or shortly thereafter. Who knows? But if if the voter if the if the candidates that are getting big money from developers are winning, well, then that's being reinforced. So expect more of it. Uh, Tony Russo says, no matter what happens, remember to enjoy every moment in life, live, love, and always laugh. Tony, I love you for that. Um, your Facebook uh, comments are all consistent with that. So love the positive energy. Keep going on that. Keep doing it. Tony says, my signs will be on eBay for sale autograph, 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Delena says, Chris never uses a calculator. His brain is weird like that. Well, Delena, we already knew that. Uh, <laughs> now, Chris is a good guy. Uh, Chris is a smart guy. And it doesn't surprise me that he has a calculator in his brain. Um, I frequently remind him he's a weirdo. Keep him humble, you know. <laughs> We love you, Chris. Uh, Delana Olp says he will not take calls or respond to people if they're critical of him. Huh. Okay. Well, I told you people would disagree with me. We're talking about Mayor Voss. He's always taken my calls. But then again, I had a friendly relationship because we were candidates in 2014. We were sort of rooting for each other back then. But since I started this podcast in 2018, I've been critical of the mayor. Um. And uh, this is kind of a funny story. The last time I heard from Steve Voss is, uh, you know, if you don't know this, I've, I've created a couple of e-commerce sites to try to monetize my podcast. And one of them is PowayStore.com, which I built a site in WooCommerce. And frankly, I need to make that site better. But uh, you can still go on PowayStore.com and you can buy some T-shirts about Poway. And one of the shirts that I had made was uh, Poway, the city that bulldozed the country. It's like, you know, a takeoff of Poway, the city in the country. Well, Mayor Voss saw that and he didn't like it. And he sent me a text about it um, expressing he kind of gave me a zinger back in a text. It was sort of tongue in cheek, um, but I kind of knew what he meant. (laughs) Uh, That's the last time I've heard from Mayor Voss. Um, That was probably like three years ago or so. Uh, Yeah. So I I haven't tried reaching out to him in the last few years. So who knows? Maybe he might not take my call now. My hunch is he would. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, I was a bit flippant about Don Higginson. He was a lovely guy. But yes, his speech impediment held him back somewhat. True. Smart guy, though. He was like vice president of, what was it, Uh, the UPS store or mailbox, et cetera, or something like that. Um, Very savvy guy. Was he a lawyer, too? He might have been. I'm not sure. Um, so I think some people may have not understood 
really what he's all about because of his speech impediment. And that's a shame. But wow, he was mayor for how many terms? Two. And I think he was also an interim mayor for a while when Mayor Cafania, when he was ill or when he passed. So, uh, wow. Yeah, extraordinary guy, Don Higginson. Um, Voss was putting up hate signs about Higginson. He also promised things that appealed to families. Okay, so we, we've been seeing negative signs even back then. Is that why Voss won? Because of his negative signs about Higginson? And what did, what did Voss promise to families in 2014? I don't remember. Delano Olp says he also had an army of supporters from the recall of Rexford. That's exactly why Peter DeHoff and Yuri both were trying to claim Chris only did the Voss recall to gather a supporters donors list. True. Um, Mayor Voss does have an army of supporters. Um, when Mayor Voss is out door knocking, he's not like Yuri going out by himself, knocking on every door. He goes out with like six to eight people. And they go after a, a single neighborhood and those six to eight people will be out there knocking on doors. And the minute they get someone at the front door that wants to talk to the mayor, they get their phone, they text Mayor Voss and then he comes running and has the productive conversation with the potential voter. Now, he's been doing that for a long time. It's a really good strategy. Yeah, he has an army behind him. My understanding, okay, I'm, I believe this is true that Mayor Voss inherited Marilee Boyack's Poway email list, which uh, Marilee Boyack had built up. And, you know, she was a city council person. Marilee Boyack, by the way, um, appointed me to the Poway Budget Review Committee back in 2007, I think. Um, And she has since moved to Utah. Her children are in Utah. One of her children, Connor Boyack, by the way, extraordinary young man. Uh, Connor Boyack started a uh, think tank called Libertas Institute, which lobbies the state of Utah and Salt Lake City on a variety of issues. And he's also created a children's book series called The Tuttle Twins. That's really good. And um, a lot of people love it. Um, And a lot of people hate it, by the way, uh, because it teaches a lot of, um, let's just say, Concepts that are taught by people like Milton Freeman and and von Mises and Rothbard and Ayn Rand, a lot of those uh, concepts are baked into this children's book series that Connor Boyack, the son of Marilee Boyack, has, has done, and he is killing it with this uh, th- this book series. It's really successful, and he lives in Utah too. But Marilee Boyack used to be here in Poway, um, and she had an email list. So I was on it. And it was a kind of a public information kind of a thing that she put together. I think Mayor Voss took that baton when Marilee Boyack um, moved out of town. And yeah, that's a huge army of supporters for sure. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, I voted for Pete Murray. He gave me a very good account of himself during your interview. Right on, Matt. Well, I'll tell you what, Pete is going to need every vote. (laughs) That is close. It's like one and a half percent. Um, that's crazy. That's really, really tight. And let me take a quick peek and see if it's updated. Uh, nope. Pete Murray is still at 50.8%. Pete Singer at 49.2%. Whew. That is close. Um, Jim said crimes are not being counted here. Okay. This is a conspiracy theory I've heard that apparently is not unique to Poway. That apparently happens in other cities too, where crimes are underreported. Apparently to make 
crime late rates look more attractive, which then reflects better on city leadership, reflects better for real estate, a lot of other things. Is that true? Is that really happening? I don't know. I have no evidence of that, but I've heard that story multiple times. Um, not sure it, what is true. And there, there's certainly a lot of crime that's just not reported at all. I mean, we know that happens. Um, but how many reported crimes are not actually accounted for? I can't tell you. Uh, Matt Brannigan said, Pete also has the same name as a very popular longstanding DJ in the UK, like a British Casey Kasem. So it was a no brainer. Okay. <laughs> that's good. Casey Kasem. That's a blast from the past. He wasn't he one of the voices on the Scooby-Doo cartoon. I think he was. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, God, I remember I was, a, I was a kid working in my backyard when I was growing up and I was pulling weeds in our garden. And I was like 12 years old and it was just a grind. You know, you're out there on a hot summer day and pulling weeds. And I was listening to KFRC 640 AM in San Francisco and Casey Kasem was doing his top 40. And he was like, and here at number 39 is a band. They say they're going to be as big as the Beatles. And this is a band called The Police. And the song is Roxanne. <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah, Casey Kasem. Uh, John Carson said, Dave Grush being gone is a win for Poway. Well, yeah, Dave Grush is retired. He's moved to Oregon. As I know his child is in Bend, Oregon, I think, his daughter. And maybe he has grandchildren now, I think. Dave Grush is a good guy. Uh, Dave Grush has a big heart. Uh, Dave Grush is a good man. Every encounter I've had with Dave Grush has been positive. Now, there have been some legit critique of Dave Grush where he has maybe felt that he opposed certain things on city council, but he changed his vote in order to have the 5-0 vote so it appeared unanimous and there was unity. He's admitted that, and that's disappointing. Um, I like politicians that stand for their principles uh, rather than trying to put up a, like a false aura. Um, authenticity is important. Um, I'm not going to bash Dave Grush as a bad guy. I mean, I think he's a good guy. He, he meant well. He did a lot of special things in our community. I mean, he was always out there raking up leaves from the eucalyptus trees on Twin Peaks and organizing people, uh, really involved with Kiwanis, a lot of other groups. Um, you know, tip of the hat to Dave Grush. Um, his, can, his, can, his campaign seat is open, and it's looking like Brian Pepin's going to win it. Delana Olp says, I'm all for safety, but I think development in some regards, it brings up safety issues, too. I used to work for the Department of Corrections. Oh, that's the prison system. Um, yeah, more people is more crime. That's true. Um, higher density living, probably more crime. Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a legit problem. Uh, so hopefully our police force is going to be monitoring it. Hopefully there's patrols. You love the whole idea of like a Barney Fife kind of walking the street and, you know, having visibility. We'd hope our sheriffs would do that just to keep honest people honest. Uh, but, yeah, it's a legitimate problem. But you know what? This isn't something that's unique to Poway. This is happening all over the place. This is happening in all over San Diego County, all over California, frankly, in a lot of other parts of America. There has been a radical shift because of COVID with people moving. 
combined with the fact that population is growing um, and and there hasn't been enough housing. And so the market has tightened up. Prices have gotten crazy. And now politicians are finally realizing we need to build more. And now they're building more. And that's creating a whole other set of problems. See, that's what the government typically does is they create these distortions based on these regulations that they set up. And there's all kinds of unintended consequences that come as a result of it. Um, but at any rate, yeah, there's going to be more crime in Poway. That's for sure. Now, how much? I don't know. If overall crime trends down, then maybe the added population, maybe still the overall crime level will trend down. Maybe. I hope so. I think that'll be true as the economy improves. And that's not looking too good right now. Most every economist says a recession is in front of us. Many would argue two consecutive negative GDP growth quarters is a recession, but I digress. Uh, Peter Hoff on the live stream. Peter Hoff. Nice to see you. Okay. Still early voting, close enough to swap around in D3. Sorry I wasn't on your podcast. Spent my time knocking on doors and talking with people. Well, thank you, Peter. Thanks for jumping in on the conversation. Nice to see you. Uh, Early numbers look promising for you. It's kind of like what I expected. I thought your positioning on your campaign, yeah, you, you're you're putting yourself in a spot where you increase your likelihood to win. And that's what it's turned out to be. I would have loved to have you here. Yeah, knocking on doors is great, man. I don't know how many productive conversations an hour do you have. When I put these podcasts up on YouTube and my downloads, I, you know, granted I'm not Joe Rogan, but I'm getting a lot of, all the other candidates have been getting a lot of play from the podcasts and the clips. But at any rate, Peter... Thank you for chiming in. Appreciate that. Um, let's see how the numbers go. Yeah, it is still early, but typically the numbers aren't going to change radically. All right, let's move on. Here we are. Chuck Smith. Uh, Voss has always taken my calls, all two of them, in six years. Kaylin and I message too. I am friends with Tony and Yuri. Olps and I need to meet both Olps. Okay, is that Chuck? Or is that Steve? Or is that Mike? I'm not sure who's talking. And I think that picture, is that Herb Tarlick from WKRP? <laughs> I think it is. Um, okay, moving on. Jim, I wonder if the cowboy will respect the Native American village site and the bones artifacts discovered all over the McKee Orchard site between P- Twin Peaks and Holly Oak. Many want it stopped. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the new piece of information. Um, we are, and I just found out about it this morning, or was it yesterday morning? Suddenly now in that development site, apparently they have found artifacts of native tribes and I don't know exactly what's there. But yeah, that's going to potentially have a huge impact because some of that area may be off limits for development. At minimum, it's going to create a huge delay. It's very likely it's going to maybe require a reconfiguration of the layout of that little neighborhood. I mean, who knows what's going to happen now? Um, That's a huge, like, that's an October surprise. I mean, if there was one, uh, that's something. Um, So we'll see how that one plays out. Um, Jim Brenner, who lives at the end of that cul-de-sac, took some photos and posted them on Facebook. And so... Yeah, we're seeing that there's, they're doing digs and they're sniffing around. So let's find out what, what happens. In many cases, I'm, I'd imagine everyone's hands are tied, right? Because there are certain 
rules around this sort of thing and uh, we'll see what, hap- what happens. Um, Delana Olp says, I guess since Peter DeHoff showed up, I'll just say his assumption of Chris gathering a list is obviously untrue as he did not run for mayor. He won't be running from D4 either, so no need for a list. Okay. Um, Pete Neal says, are the POSD numbers changing because the city numbers haven't changed in two and uh, three quarters hours? Um, let me look. Uh, if you go to sdvote.com, you can get the numbers. Uh, but let me look here for um, Batten. I'll do a search here. No, they, they haven't changed, at least as far as I can tell. Um, you know, in, in Area B, Ginger Couvret is winning handily by 17 points. She's at 49.03%. In Area C, Patrick Batten has 48.38%. Heather Plotsky, 46.38%, which is a 2.0% difference. Jason Bennett has 524 and then in Area D, it's Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe with 65.46 and Janet Bremset 34.54. Now, granted, it's early, but in the case of Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe, if, you, if you're winning two to one, you're going to win. I mean, that's just the, the, the nature of how these numbers usually go, because this initial rollout of votes is a big enough sample size that it's very useful as a prediction for what the end result will be. Am I saying that right? I think I am. Um, But the two races that are crazy close right now is trustee area C between Patrick Batten and Heather Plotsky and superior court judge between Pete Murray and Peter Singer. Those are the two races to watch. All the other races I think are not going to change. I think the winner will be the winner. Whoever's leading now is probably going to be the winner. The numbers may bubble up or down a little bit, but it's probably not going to be a significant change. And if there is, I'm sure Mike Devine will have something to say. (laughs) Um, JP says, regarding Voss not responding to constituents, that's absolutely true. Email him with a question and see for yourselves. Okay, there you go. Give it a try. Um, Email Mayor Voss and see if you get a response. Um, I'm sure he gets a lot of emails. Can he respond to them all? I don't know. But he is the mayor. He's a public figure. You'd hope he could. Give it a try. Um, Matt Brannigan says, every time I contacted Dave Grush, he responded very quickly and knowledgeably. I don't think I agree with him politically, but he did a good job. You know, after I lost my race in 2014, I got a call from Dave Grush. And he offered to meet him for a cup of coffee. And we did. And we met at the hamburger factory and he he thanked me for running, not because he necessarily supported what I was talking about, but he thanked me for participating in the process and for being an active and serious campaigner and and really doing what you believe is the right thing to do for our community. And I thought that was a really cool move by him. Dave Grush is a good guy, um, and he's just very genuine. Um, I wish him the best um, in his retirement up in Oregon. Um, interesting. The other interesting, I mean, if you want to be critical of Dave Grush, the other thing was is that when he ran in 2010, I think, when he was running uh, for city council, and I remember he was very involved in, I think, opposing the Walmart in the very beginning. But he eventually got elected, and his campaign promise was that he was for term limits, and he went maximum of two terms. And they were obviously never able to pass that at city council. Um, and then when it came time for his third term, he decided to run. 
kind of violating his own promise. And he said, you know, when you're the first term, you're just learning things and it takes you a while to ramp up with your knowledge to be effective as a city councilman. And he 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 said he was wrong, that um, the term limits of two terms was not enough. There were a lot of people that were angry with him about that. Um, and I remember I asked him about it. I did, he had a sit-down conversation with me in 2018 in the, in the very early episodes of my podcast. And we talked about that specific issue. You can go back in the archives on my YouTube channel or on my audio-only podcast and look it up. It was like episode number... 10. <laughs> this is episode 298, by the way. Uh, that was like episode 10 when we did that one. But yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, wish him well in his retirement. Uh, what else? God, we got this. so many comments here. We're still going. Um, this is from Delana Olps. I watched Corona do a lot of those same developments that Poway uh, is pushing, and it just brought up so much crime in the Main Street. The businesses left those mixed-use areas. Yeah, Corona. Yeah, that's a city. They, they built a whole business park out there. I, one of my clients is in Corona. And I have to go out there every once in a while. And yeah, they've got a big business park. It's near the residential area. There's some old development there. Um, yeah. You, so you, did you grow up in Corona, Delana? You know what? I used to race BMX as a kid. That was like my big thing. And Corona had the best BMX downhill track of all time. Um, it was a very special place in that world of bicycle motocross. But I digress. Okay. Delana says, we've been seeing, we've seen how building over Native American sites plays out in 1982. Okay. <laughs> Refresh my memory. Um, oh, wait, here's a little bit more of this. Uh, I'm just being cheeky, but it's interesting to see who will get involved in a Hollyoaks site. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, Delana goes on to say, Dave Grush and Kaylin Frank are probably the most responsive in a polite manner. Kaylin and I don't see it eye to eye, but she responds to my texts. I agree. Kaylin is very responsive. Um, I think she's doing, you know, the circumstances to uh, to Kaylin's appointment, you can criticize and I've criticized. But she, I think, has done a reasonably good job. I have nothing to criticize her for as a city council person. Um, you know, I, I don't live in District 4. I live in 3. So um, I'm not... I don't really have a need to contact her. Um, and I'm not sure what those issues are that would be driving you to contact her. But, well, actually, I do know some of them. But she, I always felt, was like Dave Grosh, very approachable, very friendly. Even if you might be approaching her from a perspective where you automatically knew you were going to disagree with her, she still was receptive, still did it with a smile on her face. And she's a very, very smart person. Um, you know, she has this presentation as just being very friendly, but she, there's a lot going on um, with her. She's, she's very, very intelligent. And, you know, she's comes from a political family. I think wasn't her mom, the sheriff in Encinitas, I think. And then she worked for, was it Bill Horn? I think a city supervisor. So it's a very politically involved family. And so it's no surprise that um, she's on a city council and that she's doing a good job. Okay. Uh, Peter DeHoff says, there are a series of semi-defined paths for moving forward with the development. Most are effectively a short-term delay, but there's a low odds path for a full stop. Uh, so Peter, I assume you're talking about the Holly Oak way and the Indian artifacts that were just discovered. Um, 
Joe St. Lucas on Facebook said, uh, Indian artifacts, am I allowed to say that? Can I say Indian? I'm not sure. <laughs> you are all so sensitive. Uh, yeah, I, again, we're going to find out. I think this is, we're in the early stages of this, how this is going to roll out. My hunch is that a lot of this is going to be defined by things that are beyond the power of what the city council can do. Because once there's native artifacts and it's a historical site, I mean, state resources and interest groups get involved and it's going to turn into something much bigger. We'll see. Uh, Jim says, keep up the fine work on the podcast. We need uh, to. Oh, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. Uh, We need to keep leaders honest. We need to keep engaged, talking, participating. Yes, that's when I do this election coverage. You know, my podcast is not all about Poway politics around election season. It always is Um, during non-election season. I'm talking about all kinds of other stuff. I talk about my travels and my electric vehicle and I talk about sports and um, all, and sometimes national issues. Uh, but yeah, around the election season, I like this to be a community forum. I like to have people sitting next to me. Like tonight, we're not, but that's good. I've been having a lot of guests lately. It's kind of fun to do a solo again. And I like this live chat and uh, keeping people involved. So yeah, thank you. We need more of this. And so yeah, election season, my podcast is a community forum. Uh, moving along, Delana says, I grew up all around San Bernardino area, but we settled in Corona when I was in the seventh grade. Still had lots of citrus groves there then. Yeah, the world's changed, man. And the world is still changing. Um, way back, we can put, go back in the Wayback Machine and Poway used to have one stoplight, so I heard. Um, you know, I, I just remember I had cousins that lived in San Jose and we had to drive through this huge app or no orange orchard or apple orchard to get to my cousin's house in San Jose. Those orchards are gone. It's just housing everywhere. The world's changed. There's more people. There's more economic opportunity in these bigger cities. Um, Yeah. And and Corona's changed. Poway has changed and Poway is changing and Poway will continue to change. Even though some people want to go back into Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine and go back to 1972, you know, when there was a hitch and post bar and, and you know, there was a one stoplight in town. I mean, we can't go there. Uh, interestingly, Ed, Ed Franklin said in our last podcast with him that even back then in the 70s, because he grew, he moved to Poway in 74, he said traffic sucked back then, uh, even on Poway Road. So some things never change. Uh, Jim said, well, Peter, uh, I'm sure you and the developers would push for it. Money, money. OK, we'll get some attacks already. The guy hasn't even been officially elected. We'll find out more later. Chuck Smith says at Gabriel's um, Gabriel's. Are we talking about St. Gabriel's, the Catholic Church? I think Gabriel's was built on Indian artifacts, artifacts, excuse me, artifacts. God, I'm like three hours. I'm going by myself. and My mouth's getting tired. Gabriel's was built on Indian artifacts, as was Scripps Poway up to the 67. And my house has Yanni's, an Italian fertility symbol. But they were all built always. Yeah. um, Again, I think there's rules around this sort of thing. I, I don't know what the rules. My guess is in some cases they can excavate and move the artifacts and they can find a home in a museum or some other appropriate location where they can be preserved. In some cases, like if it's a burial site, maybe not. 
we were joking about poltergeists online earlier today. Um, you know, you, you can't if it's a burial site, can you build there or not? I don't know the rule. In some cases, you got to leave those untouched. What about the Kumeyaay um, Interpretive Center there uh, off of Poway Road? That that wasn't built upon. Now, granted, it's a mound, but my guess is is that. You know, there are probably certain rules that required it to be preserved. Not sure. Um, there's, by the way, there's a um, an archaeological company here in Poway. They used to be my neighbor when I leased commercial space on Poway Road. They're kind of down by the, the Nissan dealership. And they that's what they do. They, they, they get called by city government. And when there's a construction site and they encounter artifacts, they send their people out there and they go out there with their brushes and their magnifying glasses and whatever they use. And they collect all this stuff and they categorize it and classify it and preserve it. And then they ultimately try to allow the development to continue because, you know, when they're building freeways and overpasses, all this stuff keeps getting uncovered. Um, Delena says, Kaylin is very much a politician. It's part of her job to be likable. However, she's not always truthful. And that's rubbed many D4 residents the wrong way. It is what it is. Okay. Well, politicians, right? <laughs> politicians. Um, moving on. Chuck Smith says, St. Gabriel's was built on metates and artifacts. Am I saying that right? I know metate lane. I don't know what that word means. Is it? A, I don't know. So St. Gabriel's was built on artifacts? I didn't know that. Moving along. I, I, I can't believe we're holding this audience for three hours, man. Thank you for, for doing this. This is fun. Um, okay. Uh, Delena says, Poltergeist came out in 1982, by the way. That's why I was teasing about knowing what happens. I'm kidding, though, kind of. <laughs> oh, God, I remember that movie. I remember there was like a, a, a supernatural spirit in that house because they built on a graveyard. I remember this that lady came in. It was this little lady. And she went she went in, she goes, Oh, this house is clean. And she looked exactly like my humanities teacher in high school. Um, I'll never forget that movie. Uh, but that was like, what's her name? Um uh, why am I spacing out on on her? She's a famous actress. And I think that's when she was a little a, a young child. Or is that E.T.? Or was she in both? Which who am I talking about? Um I'm spacing out her name. I'm sure you'll know it. Someone will say it. Uh, Chuck Smith says, Brian Smith and Associates does archaeology. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about, is that company. They're here in Poway. They're kind of near that Flapjacks restaurant, uh, near the, the Nissan dealership. Uh, St. Gabriel's, this is from Jim. St. Gabriel's had to be built around the areas, but what's being found now is different. The site leaves, leaves all the way to the creek. Archaeologists will be busy for a while. Yeah. This is a huge curveball. And meanwhile, we were talking about this online. Meanwhile, there's urgency to build those houses because real estate prices are so high. Now, as the, you know, we talk about this inflation in the early part of the podcast, the, it seems the solution to inflation by these crazy politicians is to allow the Federal Reserve to keep raising interest rates, which is going to just kill the economy. And what it's going to do is interest rates on homes are going to go up. So prices on homes are going to come down. And then the, the economic opportunity for that cornerstone or whoever is involved in that development, their ROI is going to go way the hell down. Um, so this, this discovery is a huge curveball in their project, giant. 
Peter Hoff says the Harmon Project site has similar cultural site characteristics. We'll see how that one goes. Uh, Peter, which is the Harmon Project? I'm not sure what that is. Uh, I just know the projects by the street names. I, I don't really know them by the developer names or what they are. Uh, Chuck Smith says Matate equals stone holes. Okay. I'm learning something new tonight. Um, so am I saying that right? Because I know the street name is Matate. But when we're talking about this from an archaeological perspective, is it still Matate? Is this a – what's the derivation of this word? It's not an English word. Where does this come from? I don't know. Matt Brannigan says, 72 was a bad year. My ding-a-ling by Chuck Berry and long-haired lover from Liverpool by Jimmy Osmond. Oh, my God. We're two big hits, and Nixon won another term best forgotten. Badfinger was still pretty good in 1972. Um that was the first year of the Oakland A's winning three World Series in a row. That was the year that the New York Knicks won the NBA. Is that when Willis Reed came off the bench? Or was that in 71? 72 was, I think, the Miami Dolphins' first Super Bowl victory, if I recall. What else happened in 72? Um, Vietnam War was a mess. Maybe it was downsizing that? I don't know. The music then, Zeppelin was kicking ass. Uh, a lot of good music in 72. Maybe not Chuck Berry and Jimmy Osmond. There was a lot of other really good music going on then. Um, Delena Ulp says, you're thinking Drew Barrymore. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. In E.T., the girl who played Carol Ann and Poltergeist passed away shortly after the third one came out. Really? Okay, so that wasn't Drew Barrymore. Yeah, she was on E.T. And oh my God, I can't believe this. We have reached the conclusion of our live chat. It's been, I tell you, man, just so much going on here. So um, where are we? Okay, I'm going to do another quick look here, and I'm going to do a refresh on my page to see if anything's changed. And the Poway Unified races have not changed, which I assume means nothing has changed. But I'm going to go back and verify here. Uh, Pepin, 55.58%. Soto, 44.42%. Has not changed. Peter Ho Peter DeHoff, who's on our live stream, thank you, Peter, for participating, is at 44.08%. Kevin Juza is at 37.34%. Tony Russo at 18.58%. Now, again, keep in mind that this is the early numbers. This is based on a lot of the original votes that were mailed in, or drop boxed in the last few days. They're not a lot of the votes that are day of are probably not in this count. Um, so there's a lot more numbers to be collected. Um, Steve Voss right now, uh, this most recent update from the Registrar of Voters is at 56.44% with 5,096 votes. Delta Esparza is at 31.42%. Yuri Bolin, 7.79%. Ameka Imbekwe is at 2.86%, and Bhavana Kansal is at 1.5%. So, um, and if I, if I were to scroll up, um, it says right now we're at 25.3% voter turnout. And I just did a read for, no, now it's 25.5%. Okay, so there's, there's small incremental change. Okay, that's good. Um, but it's going to be a while until this is all tabulated. I'm certain there'll be people that'll be up till the wee hours watching this. And I remember doing some of that last election cycle specifically for Voss's race because it was 
crazy how close that race was. Um, so I'm sure people will be doing that tonight. I'm sure my good friend Pete Murray, if I drove past his house, I bet you the lights are on or there's a glow of a CRT monitor coming through one of the windows because they'll be watching these numbers all night long. So it doesn't appear that much has changed. Uh, but we do have more comments. Um, Jim says, yeah, the A's went on to three-peat. Yeah, that's when I first started following baseball. So they had Catfish Hunter, Raleigh Fingers, Vita Blue, Ken Holtzman. The catcher was – they had Ray Fossey and Gene Tennis. Um, who else was on that team? Uh, uh, Campy Campanera, Sal Bando, Joe Rudy. Uh, Reggie Jackson was on that team. What a great run that team was. Charlie Finley. And then MC Hammer was the bat boy. Um, and uh, that's how we got the nickname MC Hammer because he looked like Hank Aaron back when he was a young kid. He grew up in Oakland. Um, that was when I first started following baseball because I lived in the Bay Area and the Giants were terrible in the early and mid-70s. Um, actually, they won the pen, they won the, the division nationally west in 71, but then after that, horrible. So when I first started following baseball, it was that Oakland A's team. Um, moving on. Pete Neal says, Matt Brannigan, that's why I spent most of 72 submerged. Yeah, Pete Neal, the uh, the naval submarine man, the career uh, submarine guy was, yeah, Pete, you were underwater. Traveling the globe, underwater, submerged in 1972. Um, people also had, what, uh, avocado green and... Uh, and uh, harvest orange carpet, shag carpeting and, and uh, kitchen appliances. Um, John Carson says, what promises have been made by the candidates who would have gladly accepted all this development money? I don't know. Uh, now, granted, these developers are spending a lot of money promoting candidates. I mean, they're not doing it for, like I said, they're not doing it for shits and giggles. They're doing it because they expect to have their elected officials respond favorably to legislation that they want passed. It's obvious. I mean, that's why people spend money in political campaigns is that they want to see those policies um, rewarded. Um, and that's some would say that's the corrupt part of American politics, um, which invites a whole other conversation on campaign finance. And that's a whole other rabbit hole. But yeah, well, again, again, and Peter, I know you're on the live stream. My remarks aren't directly specifically to you, but more broadly, we're going to see what happens. Um, development money has come into this race, has funded these candidates directly or indirectly. I don't know exactly how, but there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of development going on. And the candidates that are stay the course are winning and likely to win. So what does that mean in the future? More development, more money from developers. We'll see. Jim Says Sal Bando, yeah, he had third base for the uh, Oakland A's. Did he? He went to Milwaukee, I think, in the second part of his career. He was with the Brewers. Uh, Jim said MC Hammer, Stanley Burrell, yeah, yeah, can't touch this. Too legit to quit, too, right? I think it was a too legit to quit, something like no, too legit to quit. If I get it right, okay. Uh, Matt Brannigan at Pete Neal, smiling. A little more conversation amongst the podcast uh, crew here. Um, CNN just called Fetterman for PA Senate. Oh, my God. What a disaster that whole race is. See, that, that, that race is why you need ranked choice voting. Because I would never support either of those candidates, Fetterman or Oz. Not in a chance. Um, and uh, 
and there are no alternatives. Oh, and I want I wanted to make this comment. I should have made this way earlier on in the podcast. Did you notice in our ballot? Um, well, we already know there's only two choices, right? Because they they now do the top two in a California ballot, right? So it's just whoever the top two are. And usually it's one Republican and one Democrat. And in some cases, there are two people from the same party, typically both Democrat. But in one case on my ballot, there were two Republicans. It was crazy. I think it was from my assembly district, um, I think. But uh, did you notice there was no opportunity for write-ins? I was surprised by that Um, because I've used the write-in line a lot, like in cases where I just don't like either candidate. I will write someone's name in. Um, And because for me as a voter, I I have a very different angle with voting. I mean, some people, when they vote, it's a very calculated process. They think, okay, I'm going to do all this research. And yeah, I do all the research too, to a degree. But then they say, well, I need to vote for this guy because I can't vote for them. But if I vote for this person, like if I vote for candidate C, that's really a vote for candidate B. So I have to vote for candidate A. You know, there's all this crazy calculus that people put into this thing. That's, again, why I think ranked choice is so important. But a lot of times what I do is I don't do that with my voting. I vote for who most closely represents my values, even if I know they don't have a chance in hell of winning. Because I know that I only have one vote. My single vote is not going to change the outcome of any race. Even Pete Murray and Peter Singer's race or Heather Plotsky and Patrick Batten's race are both really close. They're not going to be decided by one. Even in when Mayor Voss ran for supervisor and he lost by, what was it, 282? He didn't lose by one. So... I know my vote only counts as one. So I don't compromise my vote. I vote for who I want to vote, even if I know they don't have a chance to win. To me, that's why the write-in was so important to me. Because if both candidates sucked, I wanted to write someone else in. Now what I do, if both candidates suck, I don't vote at all on that race. Um, because I, I just, the whole idea of lesser of evils or two equal evils of different flavors. I just don't like to play that game. Uh, But I was disappointed there was no write-in line because in some cases I would have loved to use it. Um, Delena Olp says, my mom was an extra in that too legit to quit video. Really? Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, I have to go back and watch that video now. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, Georgia U.S. Senate Warnock versus Walker. Very tight. Oh, my God. Herschel Walker is a disaster. I mean, oh, my God. Um, he's a great football player. Um, he's was involved in one of the most, um, uh, most incredible trades in NFL history. When the Cowboys sent him to the Vikings, the Vikings sent a ton of draft picks to the Cowboys. And then the Cowboys ended up going and winning three out of four Super Bowls. Um. Herschel Walker, very special athlete, but how he became the the nominee of the Republican Party is crazy. Um, and I don't know much about Warnock. I, I know he's a reverend. I know he's a Democrat. But Herschel Walker, oh, my God, um, he is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, and uh, again, that's why 
we need alternatives to these two parties because uh, sometimes we get candidates that are just horrible. Um, Delano Wolf says, I vote like you, John, depending on if he can be swayed just a smidgen. But if it's a two dumpster fire, I just skip it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, some people still vote. You know, they'll just, it's like they pick a horse at a race. You know, they'll pick the name they like. I know some people do that. It, that's incredible that that happens. Um, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I just have a lot of trouble with a lot of these um, partisan races. It's rare for me to find a partisan race that I enthusiastically will vote for a candidate. Um, in my congressional race, I voted against ISA because um, I don't support Daryl Isaac. He's too aligned with Trump. Um, and uh, he's, you know, very anti Roe v. Wade, all that. Uh, and the whole idea of ISA, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he even lives in our district. I think he still lives in Vista. I wanted no part of ISA. And I was angry. Now, granted, I didn't really. Who was our other guy? Scott Peters. And I'm not a Democrat either. Peters seemed like a reasonable dude. Um, but I'm not. I never voted for Peters. I never would vote for Peters. But the fact that he was my congressman, I was like, oh, okay. But with ISA, I was like, oh, no way. And the fact that he got a sign here. So I voted for his opponent. Who was his name? Houlihan? That was a case where voting for my values was to vote against someone. I rarely do that. But I did it twice this election. I did it in that race. And then for governor, I did the same thing. But the opposite party. Um, I voted for the Republican because what Gavin Newsom did shutting down this economy was tyrannical. And um, I just had a huge problem with that. The, the California economy was not fully open for 15 months between March of 2020 and June of 2021. That is a big part of the reason why we have crazy inflation right now. People lost their jobs. People were out on the streets. People were in food lines. There were and there were alternatives on how we could have worked our way through this pandemic, but shutting down people's businesses while simultaneously keeping large corporate businesses open and calling them essential while mom and pop businesses were shut down was was awful, just terrible. And so I was a huge supporter of the recall of Newsom. Um, and I and I and I when I voted, I, I almost never vote for Republicans or Democrats. But in these cases, I did. Because the other guy was so bad. Uh, and in both cases, I know my vote won't matter because I know Newsom's going to win in a landslide. And I'm pretty sure ICE is going to win comfortably in our assembly district. That's what I did. Um, I'm a little bit more <laughs> I'm a little bit more thoughtful on my local election ballot than I am on those. Th those were those were both emotional categories where I responded. Um, Delano Olps, it's tough because I had to walk the fine Republican line, but I based a lot of my votes on whether I become a lesser citizen by losing my bodily rights. That's the thing is that you can look at Republicans and Democrats and you can say, yeah, they've got some policies that I like, but they've also got a whole bunch that I don't like. And so when you vote for one or the other, you're getting the whole ugly package deal. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um Democrats, I mean, there's Roe v. Wade, which I agree with the Democrats on that, but almost 
all the other stuff, I'm not a supporter of. And, and I have a similar ratio with our friends on the Republican side. Um, going on further, uh, Matt Brannigan says, how do you feel about Fetterman versus Oz, another tight one? I think I commented on that one earlier. It's, it's amazing that, well, I mean, Oz is like, he's a, he's a Trump guy, which again, for me, that's out. Um, Trump represents the opposite of what America is supposed to be about. Um, I make this podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, Trump campaigned to crush the First Amendment. He wanted to close down mosques. He wanted to shut down part of the Internet. Um, he wanted to uh, sue the press um, and not protect their right to free press. I mean, Trump wants a border wall, which is the opposite of America, Statue of Liberty, freedom. Um, there, and I can make a huge – Bush's trade war with, with China was crazy, terrible. Um, and I'm on, I won't even get into the personal stuff. His policies, I huge problems with. Um, and so when there are candidates that are really supportive of him, um, that's not my cup of tea. Uh, and so – and then Fetterman, again, uh, you know, I just know he had suffered a stroke and it's like – which is ironic. He's running against a doctor and here he has a medical condition, which is weird. But you would think that if you suffer from a stroke like that, that you would maybe step down and maybe there were another candidate would come forward. I saw some of his speeches and it was just kind of sad. Um, feel for the guy. Um, is he going to win Pennsylvania? I know Pennsylvania, it's like razor thin between the red and the blue. Um Matt Brannigan says, Oz is nuts. Fetterman should have been replaced. He's not well enough. He wasn't up to it, sadly. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Um, and Delana says, yeah, voting is like getting a bag of turds. Sometimes it's in a bag, so you don't have to touch it, but it's filled with shit. Yeah, yeah. Voting is hard, you know. Even our local races, I mean, we could look at some of the candidates and say, hey, that guy or that, that, that lady, you know, there are parts of their campaign I really like, and there are parts that I don't. And that was true when I was interviewing the, the guests that came here on my podcast. Um, they were, they're all good people. Uh, but from a policy perspective, I like some things and I didn't like some things they said. But in my interviews, I didn't challenge them because I'm not their opponent. I didn't debate them because that's not what it's about. You know, when I have my podcasts with candidates, the whole point is to get them to share their story and, and explain what they're – campaign is about so they so voters can get to know them and the questions i ask you know sometimes are driven by me but a lot of times i try to be reflective of the community and a lot of the common questions i hear but i try to keep my own personal views out of those sometimes they slip through and maybe you can tell uh, but uh yeah politicians are almost always a mixed bag there is no savior there is no utopia um, Jim says gas prices are being spiked by the GOP gas. What's gas? I don't use gasoline. I opted out. I don't use it. We have two electric vehicles and we power them with the solar panels on the roof of our house, baby. I don't pay a nickel in gas. I don't pay for, I don't think I pay for oil. There's no oil change in an EV other than maybe a little lubrication on the wheels. Um, Gas? What's that? I haven't. I've had an electric vehicle now in some form for over ten years. And granted, ten years ago, they the technology was a lot different. There were still hybrids and gas involved. Um, yeah, I don't use gas at all. 
But I know for some people, it's a big, I mean, for most people, it's a big, big deal. Gas prices are being spiked by the Republican-backed oil companies because they hurt people's pocket and Biden and the Dems get blamed. There are no refinery fires or issues. It's not the Ukraine war. And this is so many conspiracy theories with this. Here's my take. Is there a lack of drilling? That's debatable. Um, generally speaking, there seems to be enough oil flowing. Um, OPEC plays games to, to, to distort the market um, and they'll limit supply so they can increase prices. Has there been cases where drilling hasn't been allowed in, Cal- in America? Yeah. You know, and there's this whole anti-fracking thing that's going on. And now granted, a lot of that's for natural gas, but not for oil. But the problem, I think, with, with gas prices isn't so much the oil, it's the refineries. Is that I mean, when was the last time they built a new refinery in all of America? I mean, it's there's very, very few that are being built. It's because the regulatory burden to build such a thing is just monumental. Then meanwhile, you've got Newsom um, pushing these policies. And granted, I drive an electric car, but he wants to make new gasoline powered cars illegal to be sold in California by 2035. If you are an oil company, are you going to invest in more refineries if you know you're not going to be able to sell your product in like 10 or 12 years? No. So they they then are the, – the incentive for the oil company then is to not invest and build more refineries because they know their market's going to get squeezed because their, their customers, a lot of them, the product that they use will be illegal. It's just so stupid. Um, the other part of it is, is that the pandemic screwed everything up because when everyone had stay at home orders and businesses were shut down, people drove less. People stayed home. A lot of people were getting big unemployment checks and they stayed home. And they didn't work. Other people worked from home. And that the work from home thing was sort of a silver lining for a lot of this because People found out that they could be productive at home and bosses found out that they could trust their employees to be productive from home. And in many cases, employees were more productive than they were when they were in the office. That was a silver lining. But the end result was, is that demand for gasoline just radically shrunk because of the stay at home orders and because of the shutdown orders. And as a result, oil companies said, we don't have much customers. And that's why prices went down and they shut down refineries. They didn't need to produce as much. Then all of a sudden, you know, they flip a switch, turn the economy back on, and now, you know, you got to ramp those refineries up, and now suddenly there's a labor shortage. Or if you're able to hire, you got to pay a lot more. And so the whole thing just got whacked out. So is there a a political agenda by the Republicans that they're rigging this? I don't know, maybe, but there's a lot more going on than that. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> John Carson said, so Fernando at first base? No. Sounds interesting, but no. He, he'll he either be in the outfield or he'll be at short. If he plays short, Kim will play second um, because he's the marquee guy. He's the face of the franchise, supposed to be. Now, I think initially they'll put him in the outfield, a little bit of humble pie. Um, but I, I think eventually he'll be back at short. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, Hassan Kim gets traded too, but he's not going to play first. Um, they're going to 
they're going to sign someone to play first. Abreu, Drury, bring back Josh Bell, bring back Will Myers on a, on a lower value deal. I don't know. We'll see what they do. Uh, maybe bring back Rizzo. That's the other one they're talking about. Pete Neal says, Fetterman is in his healing process. He represents that life is not over, even when recovering from serious happenstance. Yeah. Yeah, he's recovering. Um, he's healing. Again, it's just sad, you know, that he's out there and it's got to be really hard on him to do it. You would hope that there would be, that the Democratic Party would have kind of worked it out and had another nominee. Now, granted, it would have sucked if you were Fetterman, but, you know, this is just, a, it's a difficult thing. That whole, just the whole thing is just drama. Um, Don Laverty, um, joining the live stream. Thanks, Don, for joining us. I appreciate that. Um, I'm late to the table about PUSD candidate Dave Nelson. Nearby Arroyo Vista Road is a <laughs> shit show of signs, but that actually requires a separate conversation. DM if interested. We've been talking about that. Um, we've been talking about the signs, the negative signs. We've been talking about um, Dave Nelson's campaign. Dave Nelson's going to come up short. He's not going to win. Ginger Couvret's going to win that race. Uh, Frida Brunzel's giving it a, you know, the old college try. She's fighting the good fight, but she's going to come up short too. Um, Dan, excuse me, Dave Nelson has run, to put it politely, a very aggressive campaign. He has called out his opponents um, not just differentiating themselves, but almost doing so in an aggressive tone, which is, I mean, Trump did, did that all the time. And a lot of other politicians do it all the time. You rarely see that in a local election, which I think it's caught a lot of people off guard. Um, but we've talked a little bit about that. Um, Jim says stats prove more U.S. oil drilling now than ever. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. Um, Texas is a GOP state. Central Valley of California is McCarthy country. Come on. Yeah. But, you know, they're also um, issuing apparently more drilling permits, but oil companies are not taking advantage of it because they know that the return on investment is a lot less now because they can see their markets starting to shrink up, you know, and, and because government is pushing so many of these policies for vehicles away from gasoline. Delana Alp says, my dad's business is building drive shafts. Cool. Um, so the EV law is going to push business out of California. Oh, there you go. See, to me, I love electric vehicles. I'm a, you'll find no bigger supporter of EVs than me. But ultimately, consumers should make that choice. The government shouldn't be making it for them. Um, and there are so many reasons why an electric vehicle is superior to a gas car right now. And in the future, they're going to be even better. I've driven my electric vehicle from San Diego to Albuquerque. I've driven it to Ely, Nevada. I've driven it to Tahoe, to Sacramento, to San Francisco. I drove it from here to Albuquerque in the spring of 2019 when there was virtually no – not. Very, very, very little charging infrastructure in New Mexico or in eastern Arizona. But I did it just to prove that it could be done. It was like a treasure hunt. I get these perverse thrills from doing these sorts of things. Um, EVs, there's so many myths about electric vehicles. I've done whole podcasts just about the myths of electric vehicles. In the end, I think consumers should choose what best fits their need. And I think if people look at it rationally – they're going to see that EVs are going to be a better solution in well over half the cases. And the only areas right now where they come up short 
or when they have to carry heavy loads or do you know serious towing or when they have to go long distances. But my EV goes 300 miles on a single charge. Other EVs go four, 500 miles on a single charge. And there are charging stations that are being built all over the place right now, even without government subsidies. Private companies are building the EV charging infrastructure and networks all across America. And it's happening aggressively, even without Biden signing the Inflation Reduction Act, which was really a part of Build Back Better. Okay. Uh, Jim says, then gas should have been plentiful, gouging now. Well, because there's not enough supply being produced because there's not enough refinery um, output. Now, of course, the gas companies and the oil companies, they're going to try to get as much as they can. They, they, and they're not just doing that now. They've always done that. It's, that's what people say. This inflation is all price gouging and corporate greed. Well, why is it happening now and it didn't happen in 2017 or in 2014? It's happening now because of all the distortions that have happened in the market. So the corporations are just responding to all the incentives that have been created. But in the end, the corporations are going to always maximize their profit. And you as a consumer are always going to try to maximize your bottom line. And when we have a marketplace that's not so whacked out, distorted by all these policies, then there's sort of an equilibrium and it kind of balances out and it's better. But right now, everything's so whacked out because of what happened under COVID and all the shutdowns and, and the stay-at-home orders and the supply chain messes. And I mean, we can go on and on. It hasn't rebalanced. It's just whacked. And is there a political agenda? I won't say no, but that don't, I don't think that's the primary. Um, Galena says, well, it's great for the environment. The batteries and the vehicles are also bad for the environment. True, but... That's going to improve. Um, they, they're already getting better at recycling these. Um, they're already discovering that they don't have to use rare earth materials, that they can synthesize a lot of these here in America and not be dependent on rare earth uh, uh, elements from uh, Asia. This is all happening really fast. And we've come a long distance in a short amount of time already, and it's only going to continue to improve. Are the batteries bad for the environment today? Yeah. It, are EVs net better or worse for the environment? I don't know. The reason I drive an electric vehicle has nothing to do with the environment. Nothing. The primary reason I drive an electric vehicle is because of the incentive structure that's been created. I can get rebates on my cars. I get, um, I get, uh, I don't have to pay for gas because I do solar and it powers my car. Um, I, a lot of places offer me free gas. Um, when I have to use the grid, I can get it at a discount because I have an EV. Um, I can drive an HOV lane on Highway 15 by myself for free. I think I have to pay like 30 bucks for like a few years. I don't have to pay that daily charge where people are getting, you know, um, you know, zinged by those, those charges when you're in that express lane. I mean, there's so many advantages to drive an electric vehicle. Plus, they're really, really fun to drive. They're fast. They're quick. They've got all the new, cool, modern technology. They're fun to drive. And then for me, yeah, bonus, they're good for the environment. Some say they're not. I'd still drive one anyways. Uh, Jim says, Tatis will be in center. Trust me, that's the inside word. That's likely. Grisham, hey, man, two, two uh, gold gloves in three years is great, but dude's got to hit better than 182. Um, Matt Brannigan says, loving this, John, just carry on until you lose your voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting low. 
Where are we at? We're at three hours and 30 minutes, and I'm still rolling. Uh, John Carson says, night, John. Let's chat soon. Yeah, John, we're going to do that music podcast sometime soon. Delana says, bye, Carson. John Carson, night. Uh, Delana says, we looked at hybrids because we're not against EVs, but I agree it should be a consumer choice. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Um, Pete says, I have driven Calypso across country three times and planning two more. Love you, Pete. I would love to drive cross country. That's something I've never done in my life. And I would hope to do that at some point, but, uh, that's in my future. Um, and it would be fun to do in an EV just so I can stick it (laughs) to you, Pete, and prove that I could do it. Um, Jim says, gas companies spread those myths, duh, gas money. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, Moving on. So uh, Delana says, when I see clips, I always selfie with her. It was a 2016 election fund. Yeah. We're talking about Pete's Corvette Calypso, the uh, the C7. What, what year is it, Pete? Is it a 2017 C7? I think that's what it is. Matt Brannigan says, Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, another very tight one. And Wisconsin is a crazy state. Um, I remember I went there on business once. This is a crazy story. I, back in the late 80s, I was working for a computer company called Wang Laboratories, who, which, which is a big-time computer company then. And I was selling computers in the manufacturing sector. And they um, did a really good job of training all the salespeople to learn about just-in-time manufacturing and you know how the whole process worked so that we could talk their language and provide solutions that help them solve problems for their business. Well, they did one of those training sessions at a dude ranch in Wisconsin. So I I go out there. I'm like 24 years old and in rural area of Wisconsin. We're on a dude ranch. And they had a bar there. And it was, you know, it was Republican country. It was very, very clear. And then meanwhile, there's the University of Wisconsin, which is one of the most liberal, progressive some would say socialist campuses on in America. So Wisconsin is kind of a weird state, and it's amazing how it's like close to 50-50. So um, that's something. Delana says, I'm married to a nuclear energy engineer, so alternative energy is talked about a lot. We wouldn't mind one. I pay for express lanes. I used to take the 91 to work each day, LOL. That's a lot of money. Um, I think peak time on the 15 – one way is like eight bucks. So assume worst case scenario, that's 16 bucks a day times 200 commutes a year. So what does that work out to be? 200 times 16, is that $3,200? I think I'm doing my math right. Um, and a lot of money. I do it for free. I mean, I got to pay for the sticker. I think it cost me like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that. And now granted, I don't do it every day, but my wife does. And it's a huge deal for her um, because it saves her a ton of time. Um, I have friends that bought electric vehicles up in the Bay Area exclusively for this reason alone, just so they can drive in that HOV lane um, at a, for, you know, essentially for free. Pete says it's a 2014. Okay, that's the year of Calypso. And Delana's, <laughs> Delana will do a ride sometime. So Pete trying to hook up Delana. Um, here, check out my bitchin' car. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. We still have eight people on the live stream. And we're like, I think we're setting the record tonight. I think we're going to pass up John Carson 
and we're going to pass up the two Chris Ulps podcasts. And even the Ed Franklin podcast went like two and a half hours. We may have just set the record. Here we are. Um, and we're still going. Delano Ops says it was like 300 bucks a month, but that was in 2007. I hate traffic. Yeah, I, I'm sure if you paid monthly, I'm guessing there's a lower rate, but it's a lot. Yeah. And, and, but it's a huge time saver, um, especially depending on what your commute times are. Can we put an HOV lane on Poway Road? No, we're going to put a monorail, an elevated monorail right down the middle of Poway Road. Th- there was, Serious conversation about that in South and North Poway votes about a year or two ago. Um, that's funny. Um, yeah, I'll go. And Matt Brannigan says, when I last went to Wisconsin, I never saw more amply proportioned people in my life. I blame their wonderful and world-beating cheese. Yeah, we also went to a cheese factory there, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, all the cheese heads are out there. You know what else? We, I went to in La Crosse. One time my wife and I were on vacation um, gosh, this was in the nineties and, uh, we were in Chicago for part of it. And then we weren't, we wanted to explore. And my buddy in Chicago says, you should go to La Crosse, Wisconsin. And so we drove up there and it was a beautiful drive. I mean, you go through these green rolling Hills and every little city has got like this church with a big steeple, um, big white church, green rolling Hills all the way through this farmland in Wisconsin. And then you pop out in La Crosse, which is right on the Mississippi river and there are these big bluffs that are just north of La Crosse, and it was gorgeous. And then we toured the um, – uh, there, there was a brewery there. And what's the name of the beer? I think Old Style might be made there. I think that's where it's made. Um, it, was, it was really cool. Now, granted, I think we were there in August, so the weather was nice. I wouldn't want to be there in the winter. Um, but, yeah, Wisconsin is something. Uh, Pete Neal says, John Calypso is poetry. Let's see an EV do that. Okay, I won't argue that Calypso the Corvette is poetry. My EV is something different than poetry. Um, I don't know what the right word is for it, uh, but that's a whole other story. Uh, Delena says, it took two Olps, two Mike Devines, and a bunch of other chatty folks, candidates, to break your podcast record. <laughs> yeah, you guys are helping me go where no man has gone before. Uh, Matt Brandigan says, you are heading for Joe Rogan Lake, loving it. Um, you know, here's another funny story is in 2018, when I started this podcast, uh, it caught a lot of people off guard. You know, they, they discovered it and like, who is this guy, Riley podcast and all these candidates and the candidates were excited about it and they were sharing the podcast episodes on you know, the YouTube clip on their Facebook feed. And it started to become a thing. And by, which, by the way, was a great way to start the podcast. And I was very thankful for all that. But I was talking with Steve Dreyer. You remember Steve Dreyer? He's the former editor of the Poway Chieftain and the Rancher Bernardo Journal, you know, like PomeradoNews.com. Steve Dreyer, by the way, is a great guy. You know, he's like Mr. Kiwanis, um, really a great man. And had he's retired. He's no longer running the newspaper. Uh, but back then he was. And I was talking with him at one of the candidate forums. It was over at uh, Painted Rock Elementary. And he said, what are you doing? He goes, how are you having a two-hour conversation with a candidate? That is way too long. And I went, yeah, it's really long, isn't it? <laughs> and he said, no, man, it needs to be like 15 minutes. You know, it needs to be like a segment on 60 minutes. I'm like, yeah, okay, but podcasting is different. 
Um, podcasting has no rules. Podcasting has no limits. Joe Rogan goes like three hours all the time. And he, this is, you know, he didn't really know much about podcasting. Even in 2018, podcasting was relatively new. Uh, now, granted, I know it started like 10 years ago or so, maybe even earlier. But, you know, but people of an older generation hadn't really warmed up to this whole long form conversation. And they knew that, you know, most people except crazies like us would sit through the whole thing at once. A lot of people will consume it in chunks over a course of time, you know, like 20 minutes on my commute to work and 15 minutes on my drive to pick up my, you know, kid from school or whatever it is, right? You know, you get it in pieces and you consume it in bite-sized chunks or you're on a road trip and you take the whole thing in or you're on a walk with headphones and you get in a good hour's worth of it at a shot. You know, people do it in different ways. Um, and it was just it was hard for him to understand that because it was so new and it was so different and it was unlike anything that was part of his world. Um, but people are changing now. And so lots of people my age and older are really on board with podcasts, which is cool. But yeah, three hours is hella long. And we're at, what, three hours and 39 minutes. Um, heading for Joe Rogan territory. Keep it up. Pete Neal says, Registrar Voter still has not updated the numbers. Here, come on, let me check again. Um, yeah, it's still 25.5% on the top banner. So I'd imagine the numbers down aren't changing. See, Newsom is at 56%. He's going to win easy. Um you, all the statewide races, the Democrats are going to win. The Republicans have no chance on the statewide level. Some Republicans will win in some cases. Look at this. Even the Board of Equalization, 4th District, San Diego portion only, two Democrats, right? Um, in most cases, there's a Democrat and a Republican. And then I think my assembly district are two Republicans. Yeah, it is. It's uh, Marie Waldron and Randy Vopel. But Marie Waldron is at 66.9% and Randy Vopel is at 33%. So, um, yeah, we're going to get a Republican. Oh, and then the – oh, no, wait wait a minute. That's not my district. I'm in Mainshine's district. Mainshine is winning 51.6% to Christy Bruce Lane, 48.37. Mainshine, an interesting character, was a Republican – then became kind of a more moderate Republican, then suddenly became a Democrat. And it was funny, as each election went by, Mainshine's margin of victory kept getting narrow and narrow and narrower. So it made you wonder, did Mainshine change or did the voters change? Um, all I know is that whenever I see pictures of Brian Mainshine, he's got a puppy in his hands. <laughs> and it's always a good photo op, but he, I think he does a lot with the SPCA and the Humane Society. That's a big part of his his message. Um, but I think, I'm guessing this has got to be his final term and he's going to term out, right? Brian Mainshine. Um, what's he going to do? But he he should win. But he's only winning by like 3.3% right now. So that's pretty close. Okay. Back to the live stream here. Um, so yeah, we'll be checking the numbers throughout the night. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, does it look like the predictions lose the House, keep the Senate? I don't know. I'm not you know, I'm in my living room and my television with CNN or MSNBC or Fox or whoever, that's in another room. So how are we doing? I'm depending on you guys for the updates. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, I don't know, know at the moment. 
And oh my God, I'm going to have to end this pretty soon. I'm not going to be able to talk. Okay. Um, Jim says, I'll listen to this long podcast again as I drive down Poway Road in the morning. LOL. <laughs> Night all. Yeah. Yeah. This is like we're getting close to four hours. So that should get you from uh, Garden Road to maybe uh, Carriage Road. <laughs> um Delena Olp says, oh, my God, I was just thinking that. Delena goes on to say, the only time I haven't seen Mainshine without a puppy was when he visited Garden Road Elementary to talk to fourth graders. But I'll bet you he was talking about puppies. <laughs> you know, he's a – I never met him, but I know there's a lot of people here that love him. I, did, did he grow up in Poway? He might have. I think he lives in Carmel Mountain Ranch. If I, I think that's right. But – um there's a lot of people here that really support the guy and really respect him. Um, you remember there was a guy, you know who Nick Anastopoulos is? He used to run the Greek restaurant right next to the Carmel Mountain Theaters. What was the name of that restaurant? The Athens Greek Market, I think is what it was called. And he has since retired. But Nick Anastopoulos, great guy. I mean, Mr. Community Dynamo and Rancher Bernardo. Um but he always spoke very highly of Brian Mainshine. Um, and uh, Jim says, Senate 48 Dem, 47 GOP. God, uh, who knows how that's going to sort out. Um, Delena says, I think he did a puppy event at Cahoots that weekend, too. <laughs> so you're probably right. Yeah, he, he, always has a, he always has a little dog in his hand, um, which is just so nice. So photogenic. Um, the House, 217 Dem, 218 GOP, source from MSNBC projections. See, normally I love gridlock. Normally I like Congress and the White House to be different parties. Um, because when one party has full rule, we get all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> and I don't like that. Um, but when, when we have gridlock, that's good um, because it's hard to pass a lot of things. So they can't get it, make things worse. Now, granted, I support the Democrats and their plan to codify the right to reproductive choice across America, just like California is doing Prop 1. Um, but uh, the only way that happens is if the Democrats have full control of both chambers and the White House. And it looks like that that's not going to happen. But hypothetically, if it did and they were to codify that across the nation, I would be really happy about that. But then I would get all this other stuff that would come in with it, you know, all kinds of other policies that I don't like. So – Nah, that's going to be a tough one. The good news is I think in California, Prop 1 should pass pretty comfortably. Um, you know, it's not the right answer, but at least California should be okay. Um, Matt Brannigan says, what a trooper you are, John. Many thanks. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for sticking with us. And Matt, you've been a longtime supporter of the podcast. I am very appreciative of you. And I enjoy following you on Twitter. We sometimes have a couple of fun exchanges, and that's good. Um, Matt Brannigan says they'll be looking at this broadcast after we are both long gone. Well done, sir. They're going to look at this in five years and say, Riley and all those people in the chat were nuts. 
What are they thinking? What were they saying? Oh, my God. Or they're going to look back at this and say, we are the smartest guys. We were the most brilliant people. We had it all figured out before anyone else had it figured out, right? It'll be one or the other. Okay, friends. Um, I'm going to hit the refresh here, but I don't think the Registrar of Voters is changing again. And... No, it's still 25.5% in the header. Is that what you guys are seeing? That's what I'm seeing. So I don't think that's going to change much. Um, so I think I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, this is a long night, and uh, this has been really, really fun. I mean, not only have we had really great conversations with people, and and I clicked on every single message. I didn't skip anybody. Now, when I've had podcast guests here, I have skips in some cases. They're the exception, but I have. When some of the if some of the questions were very mean spirited, I would skip it. And interestingly, in some of those other podcasts, I got spam bops, spam bots that hit the chat. Tonight, I didn't get any of the bots, which is great. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't skip anybody. I even went to every post by Mike Devine, Chuck Smith, and. What's the other one? Dallas Smith. <laughs> Get them all mixed up. So uh, I, I clicked on every one of those, too. So I wasn't holding back. Uh, Matt Brannigan says, well, I guess we'll find out in the morning. Good night, sir. Good night now. Um, well, I guess we'll find out in the morning. And uh, a great way to spend an election night. Now, just as an aside, this is a totally off topic. But I also do another podcast. This is one of two that I do. The other one I do is I co-host a podcast with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton who is the legendary uh, sports talk radio uh, play by chargers, play by play guy, a legend. Um, and he comes, he was at my house this afternoon. He's probably chomping the bit because I have to finish wrapping up that podcast and give him the link. And I've been so busy doing this. So he's probably upset with me. Um, but uh, if you, if you enjoy sports, um, subscribe to that one. You can go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com um, or you can go on Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's YouTube channel or on his Facebook channel and you'll see the content there. If you look at the video, you'll see this podcast studio, but I'm sitting in the other chair and Hacksaw has this chair um, and we talk all kinds of sports and I'm kind of the the uh, the Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson and uh, it's a lot of fun and um, and it's a guy that I listen to on the radio all through the 90s. I mean, he was like the king of sports talk radio. And now he visits my house once or twice a week and hangs out with me and we talk sports. For me, it's like incredible that this is happening. Oh, and by the way, Ted Leitner is going to be on my podcast. He's going to be a guest on Tuesday, December 6th. I'll start promoting that as we get closer. Um, but Ted Leitner is going to be joining me, and we're going to talk about his induction into the San Diego Padres Hall of Fame. We've got a book that he wrote recently, and we'll probably talk about the Padres and the Aztecs and all kinds of other great things. So look forward to that as well. So all kinds of good stuff. Um, Got a couple more comments. Night, John. Thanks for chatting for so long. Jim says, that's my take, San Diego. What's yours? Well, I'll say this. Uh, good night now. Down it, firefighter. Okay, friends, I'm out. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. 
go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.